Josh, is it is it recording? Well, you could have you could have said it was recording. Hiya, it's Sally here. <laughs> just a quick one, just a quick one. You can now rate Say Your Mind podcast on Spotify as well as Apple Podcasts. So if you can, do make sure that you do both. I know that some of you are just a little bit lazy. Oh, I can't say that. But why? Why? Why is it right? Anyway, <laughs> now for the urban intro music. <laughs> It's the Ben's Brunani woman is Baby boys, baby girls, you need to hear this so Sit down, sit down, receive this realness Make sure your cup's ready for the tea We are gonna sip it, yo Hard time scrolling for your long shorts You might learn something you never know Collect you find And she's one of a kind Don't say you mind, say you mind You know what? Let's just get into it Let's let's just get into it. I've got no song this week. I'm actually recording the podcast at the studio. So as much as as much as I've tried to limit how much it echoes, fam, it's gonna echo because it's a studio with really, really high ceilings. We thank the most high because that's perfect for pole. But um it is what it is. So it's me, Kalechi in a rascal art place to be. You're listening to SYM, officially known as Say Your Mind, unofficially known as What What? That's right, suck your mum. I haven't got time. I haven't got time to waste so um yeah I'm just gonna you know get into the things um it's been a busy week it really has but I'm gonna try and fire through everything of course we've got the interview with Jendela for Share Your Magnificent so I'll talk about that shortly um and of course what's on everybody's minds is the live show happening this Saturday I'm really excited. I'm really, really excited. Um, I've just been taking the time to rest. I've been treating it like I would if I was going to run like a half marathon or something. I've just been resting, 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 like when I can just resting. I mean, I've been doing some errands here and there, but um, yeah, really, really practicing rest really practicing rest to the point where people are calling me and they're like you're are you okay because you haven't tweeted and you haven't said anything I'll get into that later but also it's just because I was just like I don't have anything to say not to people anyway not to masses of people so I just won't say anything and I'll just keep myself to myself so yeah that's basically what I've been focusing on um I watched Encanto um, I enjoyed it. I really love like the kind of animated movies that have been made, um, you know, right now. I, I really, really enjoyed it. However, I don't know what it is about Lin-Manuel Miranda's kind of like writing, but I can't seem to remember a lot of the songs. I don't feel like the songs are, are memorable to me. That could be like sacrilege to some people, but I just don't feel like the songs are memorable to me. Um yeah, but Encanto was beautiful, beautiful, but I still love Coco. Coco is my favourite. I cried. Oh my God, I loved Coco. Soul was brilliant, although there were some some bits, but Soul pretty much is how I view life. So really enjoyed Soul. Um, there's some others that I need to watch that I know. I watched, is it Inside Out or something? It was all right, but didn't didn't do lots for me, but it was all right. Um, so yeah, I've just been watching bits. I finished Abbott Elementary, but I'll get onto that later. Don't ask me how I've watched it. If you've heard all the adverts that I've done on this show, don't ask me how I watched it. Um, and also sending love to Kane Day Andrews, his wife, Nicole Andrews, she passed away from cancer a few days ago. So sending all the love, um, 
and condolences for that. Um, I recently did um, a chat, um, a podcast uh, sort of interview with Kane Day well on this podcast but I also spoke with him for his own podcast so um, yeah it, oh, everything's just kind of you know everything seems to be happening so together there's just a lot going on um, I've been teaching myself quite a bit about Vedic astrology I found that really interesting. I feel like I'm in my astrological bag, maybe because, you know, I've got Jupiter in my 12th house currently, you know, the deepening of spirituality or just wanting to learn more about it. Neptune's also there currently, but mainly Jupiter, just kind of like really wanting to learn more um, because I, I do believe that there's more to life than whatever it is that we're currently encountering. And um yeah, I really wanted to get into it. So anyway, I was looking at my Vedic astrology chart and it's a, it's a real, you know, um, testament to me and my learning because there was a point when I was looking at my Vedic astrology chart and I was like, this motherfucker means not a single thing to me. Um, but now I can kind of look at it and I'm like, mm, I think I get what's going on here. <laughs> so where in Vedic astrology, because it's calculated differently, um, or it's also your sidereal chart, it's calculated differently. So I'm a Libra moon instead of a Scorpio moon. Now, some people see that and they're like, see, this is why I don't listen to astrology because da, 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 da. But actually, regardless of what calculations you use, you still come back to the same answer. It's really hard to explain, but basically because of the nakshatras um, within Vedic astrology, basically, um, I guess they, they operate as like the houses um, because of the nakshatras and then the rulers of the nakshatras and, and things like all the gods that they're linked to, you still pretty much come back to the same explanation of you. It's just like, you know, like if you were standing in a room or you're at a party, somebody's looking at you from the door somebody standing by the table where the food's at they're all still seeing you they're probably just catching a different part of you but it will all still slap it will all still bang so that's why I'm just like well I want to know what all of them man who are in the party what they all have to say about me in it because then I feel like that kind of gives you a more holistic understanding of um yourself so yeah been looking into that and it's so interesting that it's like I'm a Libra moon instead of a Scorpio moon with a Swati Nakshatra um reading about that specific placement like there are other placements but reading about that specific placement was so interesting and it really made me rather emotional because I think like when you have, whether you're um, a Scorpio moon or a Libra moon, if it's Vedic or whatever, you kind of do feel, and also it depends on if you are a Libra moon in Vedic astrology, which nakshatra it is, but like you do feel this intensity in life. Like you feel like things that happen to everybody else seems to happen to you like times 300. That's what it sort of feels like. Um, obviously it's on a personal relative level, right? And so you do feel like, when is this going to ease up? And then you start looking at different things and then things start to make sense and things start to align. And like, it was, it just made me um, really emotional. I just thought it was really great to um, read that and to learn about that. And also I had this zodiacal release uh, reading with Ellis. And, you know, I've had um, Ellis on the show before when we were talking and that episode was called Pluto's Playback. Um, oh, so it's Pluto's Payback. And um, we did this zodiacal releasing and it was so, so brilliant because it basically 
shows you how to follow patterns in your chart and when certain things are going to happen um, based on what's happened before. So if you, you know, we were looking at it and um, we were like, okay, what times, you know, what dates do I remember where like major things have happened? Um, and then looking at what those dates fall into and then be like, okay, can you see, can you see the theme? And then basically being able to preempt what the next kind of um, pattern is going to be based on that because life is just really intricate, beautiful maths. And if you pay attention, you can start seeing patterns. Um, so yeah, so that was really, really interesting to do. So I would definitely recommend if you, it, it's really complex. It's not one of the kind of ones where, you know, you go into it and you're like, oh yeah, all of that just, um, all of that just makes sense. It's more challenging than possibly a reading from Yakari or a reading from um, the Sagittarian mind who I, I love them both and um, or more challenging than maybe something you would see on the Chani app and I love all of these you know places to go this is very it feels like you're studying you know so I would say maybe if you're doing the others do those first and then once you feel like you've got a bit of an understanding then you can holler at ellis um so you can go to from the astral.com that's from the astral.com or instagram for ellis is astral ellis a-s-t-r-a-l-e-l-l-i-s-s um and you know ellis is a babe they've been on the show before so yeah holler holler um, but I really enjoyed that. It was really, it really challenged me. I would like, I had to sit down and really try to get my head around everything that we were talking about. Um, but like I said, life is just divine maths. You've just got to start figuring out the calculations. Um, so yeah, so that was, that was really what my bag has been the past few days. So when you haven't seen me or heard from me, you should really realize that whenever I kind of just disappear, I've, I've usually got some kind of spiritual interest that I'm trying to um go further into every single time it's either I'm, I'm I'm resting and learning more about some kind of spiritual thing um that's really it I mean this time also it was kind of like I'm also not going to tweet or post on socials because just generally because like the girls are getting free content all day every day and I don't even tend to think of what I do as content because it's just like my free th- flow of thought but at the same time you see that people are benefiting from it like people will literally take what I've said on socials repackage it and then go and get paid for what I've said or these brands and these companies these organizations will be taking what I've said and they'll be using it amongst each other everyone's coming to my page daily daily especially on Instagram stories getting all of this information never you know thanking me commending me for it but they're benefiting from it so I was like oh you know what all of you can suck out all of you can suck out. I'm going to go off and go and go to learn some amazing spiritual things. And you can figure out this motherfucking shit by yourself. Because sometimes when you don't have somebody there all the time and you take them for granted, the, the absence is felt. The absence is felt. And in that moment, then you sit down and you ask yourself, wow. OK, so I really do need to admit to myself that I benefit a lot from this person. So how can I support them? Because that's really the tea, you know, the... <coughs> pardon me the um crowdfund for the children's home is right there people will be coming with their with their long hands they'll be coming to my page to be looking this looking that 
but then the, the crowdfunding's there, where are you? And I know that we're all having hard times, but two pounds, five pounds, please don't piss me off. Anyway, in terms of collective astrology, what keeps coming up is that, obviously, as you know, the live show is um, April 2nd, this Saturday. Now, April 4th, which is a Monday, things are gone. Things are gone, my youth. Things are going down. As one rapper, I believe he was from Atlanta, said, meet me in the club. It's going down. Ooh, meet me in the, you know, just, uh, did he say meet me in the club? I don't know, but he did say that you should meet him somewhere and something was going to go down. And this is basically like, meet me in the, meet me in the skies with the stars because it's going down with the planets because, well, it's going up really, but then it might come down. You know, you never know. The world might end. Um, went off on a tangent there, but the main thing to note is that, yeah, April 4th, Mars and Saturn conjunct, yeah, there's a Mars and Saturn conjunction in Aquarius. However, in Vedic astrology, it's happening in Capricorn, which is interesting. And I think they were saying that it's happening at the 28th degree. Well, that's if when it's happening in Capricorn in Vedic astrology anyway. Anyway, the last time that we had a Mars-Saturn um, Mars Saturn conjunction in Aquarius, from what I understand, it was March 2020. And you see what happened to us in March 2020? Everybody got locked down. Everything got shut down. Um, I don't think that that's what it's going to be in terms of necessarily everything locking off, but it's a global thing because Saturn is like the world it is a collective thing and well no more so because it's happening in Aquarius in terms of tropical um astrology western astrology it's happening in Aquarius which is the group the collective it's happening in my 11th house fucking hell so I know people are going to start getting mad at me again for no reason (laughs) like that hasn't already started it's like crying over what I said about Meghan Markle god um but yeah it's definitely a collective thing that we're going to experience um, because Mars wants to move and it wants to move and it's Mars is very much like move, bitch, get out of the way, get out of the way, bitch, get out of the way. And Saturn's like, oh no, the fight's out. I'm about to punch your lights. Out. Like Saturn won't let you go. Saturn won't let you move until you've learned this, the lesson. Saturn's like, you're not going anywhere. You can just circle. Um, so it's like the description that I got from Joni, um, was uh, this astrologer that I'm watching. She strikes me as a bit of a Trump supporter, which is why I'm not promoting her. Anyway, um, she described it as like, if you imagine that you've got Mars is your foot on the accelerator and then Saturn is your foot on the brake. Now that's happening at the same time. So what's, what do you think is going to happen? It's like, but you're not going anywhere. It's just not going anywhere. It's a, it's a severe halt. So Um, we will feel that in one way or another. Um, and obviously we know that there are tensions across the world right now. One, some that people are more focused on than others, but there is a definite idea of halting, halting something, um, like abruptly. So, so it very much feels like world leader energy. 
world leader vibes um, is what we're looking at here. So, um, like I said, Vedic astrology places this happening in actually happening in Capricorn because they use a different calculation. So they're placing this happening in Capricorn. However, regardless of where the houses are that they're placing or the signs are that they're placing these things um, are you know, or saying that these things are going to happen, the aspects are still going to be the aspects. Do you get me? So um, anyway, so the Mars Saturn conjunction is going to happen in Capricorn. And it's a, it's a major thing. Now, the last time that them things happened, in, like Mars and Saturn had the same conjunction in Capricorn, 1992, when the riots kicked off because of what the police did to Rodney King. Um, then there was, um, I think, around 1934, uh, when Hitler came into power. Um, and then there's another one just the idea that wild things like there's there's a there's a it's a collision it feels like it's like oh like the people meets the power even though the power is the people do you get what I mean like there is there is something about that um or like the, the people come against the structure something about that anyway because like we said we've got this happening Mars Saturn in Capricorn at the 28th degree Guess who has their Mars at 28th degree? Lilibet. Lilibet has her Mars at 28th degree, at the 28th degree in Capricorn. Now, what's wild is that I also have my Mars at 28th degree in Capricorn, but that's in Western astrology, not in Vedic astrology. Or no, in Vedic astrology, it's a lesser degree. Anyway, um, and Putin has the same in Western astrology. I don't know what Putin and I have in common, but that is fucking wild. Um, but in Vedic astrology, that's Lilibet. Your old girl, Lizzie, whoo, she has gone through it. And we'll finally go through it. Um, I don't know what all that means, but whatever it is, there is something about that. It could be nothing. It could be nothing. Lilibet might be just fine. I'm not trying to like spook anybody out. But um, well, basically, you see what happens when I come offline? I just go down little rabbit holes and um, find information. But everyone is talking about this April 4th everyone is talking about this April 4th. So let's see, April 4th into 5th, because obviously we are in different time zones around the globe. So let's see what it means. This is why I'm not too sure about Formula One and the Australian Grand Prix that's meant to be happening between the 8th and 10th, I think, is it, of April? Mm, let's see how all of that plays out, um, to be honest. But yeah, just interesting times, very, very interesting times uh, ahead. So in case I don't mention it at the live show, that's just something to bear in mind. But I don't like to leave you on feeling, you know, feeling apprehensive about these things because April 12th, there's the Jupiter and Neptune conjunction. And that and like that feels beautiful. Well, that's meant to be really, really beautiful. So looking forward to seeing how, yeah, just seeing how all of these things play out. Who knows? But just be extra careful. <laughs> be extra careful watch out for law enforcement and all of those things drive carefully definitely don't drink drive um and just look after yourselves look both ways when you're crossing just just be very cautious be 
you're very cautious this time. Probably nothing, but astrology hasn't lied yet. Anyway, let's get into the tarot then. So I love that you are all sending in letters now. I'm glad that you're making the most of this tarot section because the tarot section is your section, you know, like send me things, ask me things like this is, this is your bit. This is your vibe. Um, let's see. I've got a letter. Let's see. Oh, is that, oh, we've got a straw of the week. No, oh, there's so much happening here. You know what I was thinking about actually, while I'm getting this letter up, um, I mentioned that my Mars is in Capricorn at the 28th degree, right? Um, and based on the house that it's in, it means that, um, that degree, 28th degree, um, actually means that I am slash will be a household name. So that dusty, stupid bitch of a journalist, I know I mentioned her from time to time, lol. Sometimes people say things to you that are meant to be an insult, but actually they're calling forth your destiny. So that's very, I, I just, I just wanted to share that because sometimes people need to suck their mothers and not say things out of spite because actually probably what you're doing is prophes prophesying a good thing into that person's life. So haha. -ha. Anyway, here's the letter. Morning, Kalechi. Firstly, I would like to say a big, um, I'm, I, well, firstly, I would like to say I've been a big fan of SYM for over a year and a half now. Through the, uh, though this is the first time I'm writing in and it's for, um, for a tarot reading request. I'm a supporter on Patreon, but I'm never quite quick enough to be part of the select Patreon pick a card uh, sessions. This is a great time, by the way, to add this. If you're reading this on a podcast, please rate SYM on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to follow Kalechi on social media. Send her all the good vibes. And if you can, support her on Patreon as well. <laughs> so on to my re um, reason for this email. I'm turning 32 in a couple of months. And the one thing that has been weighing on my spirit for the last six months, something um, I think a substantial number of your listeners might be able to relate to, is getting older and wanting to make a change. Like I said, I'm turning 32. I've started, I started working immediately after I graduated from university at 21, but God, I hate my job. Sadiq was right in saying that advertising drains the soul because it really does. But now I want to change careers. I want to go back to school to get my master's in a degree utterly different from what I studied. That isn't in any way lucrative. I've also had a YouTube channel for the last four years that has stagnated and I'm considering changing the type of content I make, exploring new things and challenging myself. All of these things just seem like my soul is screaming for change, but I'm terrified. I'm terrified that I'm cutting it close, that my twenties were the time for me to experiment and change. And since I missed that boat, I should sit in the present safety of my misery rather than overshoot and end up broke alone and resentful of losing the comfort I'd spent the last 11 years building for myself. I would like to ask spirit, how do I deal with those feelings of feeling too old to rock the boat or feeling too old to change? Is there anything spirit has for us, for those of us who feel terrified to take that step? Thank you for all that you do, the hope that you bring and the voice that you give. Thank you for that beautiful message. Okay, let's get into it then. Let's shuffle these cards. What I will say is like one thing that I came um, across when I was having that zod uh, zodiacal releasing with Ellis is... Um, there is a there is a specific event that takes place in people's charts where they usually have a massive like course change or like a change of direction in their life right and i in my chart i don't actually have one until the age of 51 
inshallah, God bless me with long life and great health. Amen. All of us, really. Um, unless you're a hater and you're listening to this, you should disappear immediately. Anyway, um, yeah. Oh, that flew out. Oh, I love that. Card already flew out. Um, I don't have that in my chart until I'm 51. So what I found interesting is that also where it is, I had this random thing that would you all scream? Like, wouldn't we all collectively scream if a baby girl became president or prime minister of a country at the age of 51? Like, you know, like I, I have this swift thing where it's kind of been there the whole time. We've kind of known the whole time that I care so much about what happens to the collective. And then it means that the only way that I can, or the, you know, like basically it ends up getting to the point where the only way I can enact the kind of changes that I want for us as a collective is to actually run for office in one kind of capacity. And so therefore it means that I'll probably have to, you know, give up, basically sacrifice the other baby girl livings that I've been doing so I can do that thing. Um, because Mars and Capricorn is a, is a, it's a big deal in the house that it's in. It's a, it's a big fucking deal. You know, I'm a big fucking deal. Um, it takes a while for people to realize, but when they do, Ooh, baby, Ooh, baby, I love your ways. Be our president collection. Ooh. But I, I don't know why I keep singing that song on every show, but, um, I just thought that was interesting to share because baby, it's never too late. You're 32. You're 32. Three plus two, five. Conflict when change is happening. Um, epiphanies. Oh, oh, what's this? Oh, let's see. Oh, nice. Oh, nice. Hold on. Oh, the cards fell on the floor. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Okay, ten, six. 10, 6, 8, 19, 6. Hmm. All right, those are enough cards. Okay, right. So the cards that came out, we've got the Wheel of Fortune in reverse. We've got the Six of Pentacles. We've got the Sun. We've got the Six of Wands in reverse. We've got the Sun upright and the Six of Wands in reverse. Lots of sixes, which is interesting. Um, well, two sixes, which is interesting. Um... The Wheel of Fortune, is it too late? This is like, it's never, it's never too late. But for some reason, I'm getting that the time isn't quite now. Like, as much as you're worried that, oh my God, I don't know your voice, but imagine, oh my God, I'm getting so old at the young age of 32. I'm getting so old. Is it too late? Spirit's like, ha, 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 ha. It's not even, fam, you're talking about, is it too late? Babes, it's too early. And not, not majorly early too. This is more of an idea of, um, you've just got to wait. Something has to change seasonally. Like there's something that's going to shift and you're going to almost fall into the, the, the new roles that you've been calling towards you. Something's going to change in the world because we're looking at the wheel of fortune. Something's going to shift in your favor 
and then you'll see all of your blessings being handed to you because we see the six of pentacles here um and the figure has all of these gifts and they're ready to hand them out there's so much within you there's so much potential like you're really talented in a number of ways like fam you were studying you're doing advertising you've been running a youtube channel and on top of that you even have more ideas on more only you only you that God was going to give all the blessings into one body like that. Wow. But that's amazing. You know, that's amazing. And this is saying like, hold on, hold on, because there are, there are more gifts within you that will help the next stage of what you're going into. They just need a little bit of time to come to fruition. And the way that they're going to come to fruition, because I've got eight of swords at the bottom of the deck, there are some things about yourself that you're currently in denial about there's some aspects of yourself that you're not even willing to see yet so you can't now at this stage go and launch into that new phase because there's still a maturity about how you view yourself your sense of self that needs to shift in order for that portal to open and you will know because what, what you're feeling now is almost like the seeds of change like it's planted definitely and it feels like it's about to sprout because the next card I've got is the sun and we've got sunflowers and then we've got the sun shining bright giving me Leo vibes here as well but and then we've got this little child so I don't know whether it's a case of um you're waiting for a child to come through or it's about your inner child um that there's 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 some kind of reconfiguration that needs to happen be, before you take this before you take this leap there's so much joy there's so much waiting for you but the fact that the six of pentacles is there you're giving you're giving it's like it, it, without the right maturity without the right level of going into something you won't you won't truly honor the gifts that you have and you can there's the likelihood that you can just not when you move into the new uh, field of what you want to do because the timing isn't quite right you'll find that you're in the energy of chasing things chasing things where this is like if you just wait a little bit longer you'll see how everything will almost fall as if by divine um orchestration everything will just fall into place and then we've got the sun and then we've got the six of wands in reverse right in between so right in between the six of pentacles and the six of wands in reverse we've got the sun there's so much brightness in you. There's so much for you to share with the world. There's, when I look at the sun, I also think about fame as well because it made me think about Leo and then we've got the red flag of success that the little the little girl is waving. It does make me think about children. But um, she's on a horse and then the six of wands, she's on a horse. So it's just like, are you... This change that you're um, wanting to make you're clearly scared of um, death because you talked about, is it too late? Is it too late? Is it too late? But spirit is asking you, but have you even considered life rather than focusing so much on, is it too late? Have you started thinking about the time, the, the fact that have, are you using the time that you currently have as effectively as you could? Have you stopped to act, like feel the sun on your face? You seem to be, you wake up, you get ready, you do your work, you run your errands, you come home, like you, you're doing things on autopilot, you're doing things on autopilot and you're, and you're forgetting the childlike wonder that you possess and spirits like, if you just gave yourself more time to enjoy life, 
rather than like, I need to move to the next stage because I need to validate my inner child in one way or another. If you just let that inner child come forward and play more, play, there's a lot for you. There's, there's so many gifts waiting for you in play that if you were to just do that, you'd find that there are even more gifts that you're able to utilize because currently you're not celebrating yourself. This is why we've got the six of wands in reverse. It's about celebration and she's looking at the inner child, but she's looking at the inner child from the wrong perspective. You're not celebrating yourself. You're not celebrating the divine youth of what you are. Maybe that's the message from spirit because in your eyes, you're getting older, but to spirit, you're forever a baby girl. You are forever a baby girl. You're just a... Wait, that's all of us. We're just a moment. We are just a moment. So all of this stuff that you're doing, like, oh my God, I'm 32, I'm 32. Spirit's like 32 fam. I'm eternity. Come, come through then. If you want to start comparing ages, let's do this. You know, because 32 is nothing. It is nothing. And I pray that you have long life. I pray, I pray, I pray that you have long life. Let's imagine that you're going to live to over 90 that means you've only completed currently a third of your life and you're already like, is it too late? Fam, what are you planning to do for the next over 60 years? What are you planning to do? You, you, so this is, you have to start looking at your life in perspective and, and think about the longevity of it. Pray for longevity rather than thinking about, oh, I need to achieve things in this set amount of time. Pray for longevity and pray for good health and pray that the blessings that you don't even know are your blessings that can only come to fruition maybe 10 years, 20 years from now that you are currently in a space where you are making sure that those things, you know, come to pass um, rather than fretting over, you know, man-made ideas of what success is and how long you have. Remember that time is a construct. I talked about this in last week's episode, like time is a construct. If you tie yourself to it, bind yourself to it, like we see in the Eight of Swords, you are not going to be able to see your way through and to truly see your blessings and to truly see your gifts for what they are your gifts are timeless they're part of your legacy like your gifts will transcend you you know they will go beyond you and that's what you should be focusing on don't worry about rushing because you'll know that you're in the right place when you stop thinking that you're running out of time when you have settled because right why are you talking about running out of time is it too late you're working from an ego-centered place when you become the observer when you allow the observer part of you the god self part of you to come forward you will then see that oh i'm not running out of time because time really isn't real in that way because i I am beyond time. I've always been beyond time. So I pray that resonates with you. I pray that answers your question, but give yourself time. Give yourself time. Around summer, you'll start to see if you can start settling down, if you can start relaxing more, playing more. Around summer, you'll start to see that there are some things about yourself you didn't even realize and they're going to be more useful to you because it's time that's making you think, oh, I've been making my YouTube um, page for four years and it's become stagnant because you're being too serious about everything like laugh a little bit use um a vibrator or something like flick your bit go and go and pleasure yourself go and have some fun stop being so serious stop thinking about time you've got lots of it chill out relax take a cup of tea so i pray that that resonates um and um you know maybe it speaks to more people than just our um you know our listener that wrote in and i look forward to receiving 
even more of your messages. I'm looking through it now and I'm like, I, what have I started in this inbox? But do send them in and I'll be working my way through them gradually. Uh, so yeah, that's that. I will pick up the first of this week's show sponsors who are Typology. Big up Typology for sponsoring this week's episode of the podcast. Um, I got sent bits and obviously I love my bits. So I used the tinted balm which I think is really cute because um, it's got hyaluronic acid in it as well and um, raspberry seed extract to kind of like improve the hydration, you know, on your lips and make it more comfortable. Now, the thing is, my lips are already sexy. So sometimes it's really difficult because if your lips are already sexy, like what else, are, what else could possibly, you know, can now be done for, for it? But saying that, using like the tinted um using the tinted balm was um a real look because I don't really like to wear lipsticks to that I love a gloss but at the same time I don't want that thing where like the gloss is glossing but then when it's done your lips just feel dry so I like that the balm has a bit of a tint um depending on which color you choose because there are different types so it's got a bit of a tint, but it does, it is actually working and doing something on your lips at the same time. So it's good for you basically. And it's vegan. It's 97% and naturally derived and mineral oil free, fragrance free, silicone free. So, you know, it's, it's nice. It's nice to be able to put something on your lips that, you know, isn't going to leave it feeling wild afterwards. And like, if you've already got four lips like mine, it just gives you a bit of a, you know, that kind of it just keeps it looking extra beautiful. Um, and if you've got thinner lips, well, I'm hoping that for you, I'm praying that for you, it makes it a bit more plump and juicy. Um, and also you can use it on your cheeks because I've been doing that for a minute. Like whatever I use on my lips, depending on the color, obviously, I'll just add a little bit to my cheeks as well. So you can use it for your cheeks, um, just to add a little bit of subtle color and just use it to hydrate your lips. Because sometimes people like to talk a lot, talk a lot of rubbish and they have dry lips. So at least if you're going to talk rubbish, at least keep your lips, you know, hydrated and, you know, slightly tinted, um, and do better for yourself. So it's the perfect mix between a lip balm and a lip gloss, and you've got great moisture from it. I just think it's great. Go and enjoy. You can get um, a free nine ingredient lip balm as well. If you were to go and get that tinted lip balm, you get another nine ingredient lip balm to go with it on typology.com. So you just add the nine ingredient lip balm to your cart and add the code MIND, that's M-I-N-D, at checkout. And, um, I know that there are limited quantities available, but yeah, just go and check it out. Um, you go to typology.com and you can see some fancy bits, like check out some skincare that's like good for you and makes you feel fancy and stuff. Yeah. That's typology.com. Go and get your free nine ingredient lip balm when you, once you've bought something from there by choosing the ingredient or choosing the nine ingredient lip balm add in the code mind at checkout and go live your best life. Okay, let's get to share your magnificence. Before I actually launch into share your magnificence, I've been meaning to say it for ages. Okay, so ahead of the live show on Saturday, patrons, I'm going to put this on Patreon as well, but patrons, please arrive at 5.30. And I know that some of you have bought tickets for other people to attend with you. Unfortunately, they're going to have to meet you. Unfortunately, unfortunately, they're going to have to meet you um, when the doors open so they can come from like 6 p.m. Um, and meet you in the foyer from 6 p.m. This meet and greet at 5.30 is solely for patrons only. 
only like you literally have to be a paying member on patreon to attend so just bear that in mind i know that you want your friends and your booze and everyone to come with you but they can literally just wait for you for half an hour for you to get your life and then you'll meet them in the foyer there'll be things for them to do because we'll have like the merchandise there as well so they can grab a couple bits um you know and just hang around they can get a drink from the bar i think um and they can get seated from early maybe um and then the show will start roughly around 6 30 well the music and the vibes will anyway and then we'll pretty much get going soon after that with your hostess with the mostess audrey um from the receipts podcast so it's bound to be great looking forward to seeing all of you if you can please try to do um a a lateral flow test before i know that it's not mandatory anymore but just you know try to be responsible if you can um and yeah that's that's that and anyone who's um no longer able to attend just holler at the bloomsbury theater please stop hollering at me holler at the bloomsbury theater and let them know because i'm sure somebody is on the wait list to grab your ticket so yeah looking forward to seeing everybody on saturday um but getting back to Show Your Magnificence then, I told you that I finished watching Abbott Elementary, uh, written by Quinta, or created by Quinta Brunson. And she used to be on Twitter doing the bits, doing the bits. And she was so funny with all of the things that she was doing, videos that she was making, that she landed um, a development deal for her own TV show, which is Abbott Elementary. And it's based in South Philadelphia, I think. And it's a school that's like run down, not getting much money, not much funding. And we follow the lives of the teachers so it feels a bit like the office but it's much better in my opinion um it's just so beautiful to watch my god like all 10 episodes that they put out for this season incredible when I think of the kind of like tv that I would want to make for myself it would be something rather similar to that you know like from a British perspective but you know like Sally and HR kind of vibe but no she killed it it's so like the characters are so likable they're so lovely um just incredible ensemble acting the children are phenomenal um the story arc is beautiful it's beautiful because you first see like this quirky slightly overbearing newbie relatively new teacher as in Quinta in her role and how she grows how she grows throughout the you know that season or that school year um it's fantastic but let me tell you my favorite person my absolute favorite person is the actress that plays Ava Ava is the principal of that school and let me tell you she's a mess but she's like her comedic timing is just ridiculous um Cheryl uh, Cheryl Lee Ralph is in it so she used to be Moesha's mum in Moesha you know that brandy was in she's in it um the guy from everybody hates chris he's in it everyone's so wonderful oh gosh it's so heartwarming i loved every single episode of abbott elementary like that is how you make a show it's just beautiful it's so wholesome um and it and it comment like it makes commentary on the kind of socio-economic and socio-political situations that a lot of schools find themselves in, especially the quote-unquote inner city schools that have predominantly like black children, what that means for them, what that means for their education. Like the commentary is great, but it's almost like a, it's a backdrop to 
all the other relationships and things that you see taking place but it's very very it's very much there the whole time and it's how these teachers go about dealing with it with hardly any funding and still trying to do the best for their um their primary school kids it's oh it's gorgeous it's so gorgeous um yeah so Ava is my favorite she's a rubbish principal she's a rubbish principal of that school but she is funny as hell absolutely brilliant brilliant acting um but like I said everyone's amazing but I just wanted to share that anyway we're going to jump to our next Shea Your Magnificence which um goes out to Jendela Benson who is the author uh, of the her debut novel um hope and glory that i narrate as you know the book comes out on the 7th of april that's thursday 7th of april you can pre-order it so it lands on your door when it you know the day that it's released and also you can get the audiobook that i'm narrating with my various voices yes anyway um yeah you can get into all of that and i speak with jandela about this i was going to actually release this uh, for April 4th but it seems like a madness is happening then anyway and I was going to be releasing the live show recording of the live show <laughs> I'm going to be recording I'm going to be recording I'm going to be releasing the audio version of the live show on that Monday anyway so there was no real point in trying to wedge this interview into there so yeah just keep that in mind anyway hope you enjoy it for this week for Share Your Magnificence, I have the incredible, incredible, incredible Jendela Benson. Hey. Hey, baby girl. <laughs> Hi, thank you for having me. It's an honour. <laughs> no, it's a big, it's a massive pleasure because what you're doing at Black Ballad is amazing. What you've been doing throughout the years, because you've, you've been writing, you've been out here, um, I think the first time, was it the first time we physically met was at an event that Angel organised? Yes, in, at, it at was. In Brixton. Oh my gosh, yeah. Wow, that was years ago, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was yeah. the first time I met you in person. Wow. Time flies, you know. Exactly. And I just look at everybody's trajectory from there. I feel like we were all just really out here doing things and we're seeing those things coming to fruition. And I just think that that's beautiful. And I think that that's also the journey that we see take place in hope and glory as well. Just like yeah. the things, the things that we do, the gritty things that we have to go through in order to get to something that feels like healing, that gets to something that, you know, that, that feels like life. But I wanted to find out from you, like, how did your journey um, of writing, of learning, motherhood, womanhood, like there's been so much that you've had to unearth about yourself as well. Yeah. How did that get you to the point where you're like, you know what, this needs a book? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, first of all, I think writing for me has always been like an outlet. Like I'm so much better a communicator on paper than mm -hmm. I am in person, which um would get me into trouble because my mum would be telling me off and I'd write her a letter in response and she'd be like <laughs> what is this <laughs> like what I'm not reading this like so um so yeah writing has always been that kind of like outlet that kind of way that I process my thoughts and I realized recently that I've actually kept a diary since I was probably about 13 in some form wow. some shape or form yeah I found those old books oh my gosh they I might have to burn them or never be right <laughs> <laughs> But um, yeah, so over the years, I've just been writing, been documenting just myself, my thoughts, how I feel, 
and then um it got to I think it was like 2016 and I was writing for Black Ballad this was when Black Ballad was it was before Black Ballad kind of relaunched so it was still like a free blog mm-hmm. and an editor actually said to me have you considered writing a book and I was like yeah of course I have like everyone's considered writing a book <laughs> <the day." laughs> like, we bought it but um she kind of encouraged me to think about writing fiction and um I started developing the idea that was hope and glory kind Mm. of around then I didn't end up working with her because she moved and she went somewhere else Mm. so um but she was kind of like the catalyst someone kind of saying you know what have you considered doing this and kind of taking that seriously because obviously I love books I've always been a reader I think I tried to write my first novel when I was like 10 because it didn't go well I was like you know what this just isn't for me like (laughs) 10 years old you know and already throwing in the towel (laughs) (laughs) but um but yeah so the development for Hope and Glory started then 2016 and it took a while it took longer than I would have liked it to but I realized that it was a journey for me as much as it's a journey for glory it mm-hmm. was a journey for me kind of writing and wrestling with so many of the emotions that are in the book like grief family um estrangement all of that kind of stuff I was processing at the same time so and um, people ask oh is it based on real life and I'm like the pattern of events don't follow anyone's particular life but the mm-hmm. emotions the trial like all of that is real like that comes from like a real place while the characters are obviously fiction so no one try and sue me (laughs) (laughs) I said Julian okay (laughs) (laughs) literally like don't try and sue me because you're not in the book but um yeah just all of that wrestling with family it comes from like a real place and kind of understanding your place in terms of your family in terms of the wider world kind of forging your identity and growing older and realizing that as much as you are coming into yourself and you're an individual so are your parents so are your siblings like we are connected by this um bond of family whether it's real whether it's kind of societally manufactured what however you want to look at it we are kind of like thrown together but we're individuals as well and I feel like that was a journey for me it's a journey for glory and um yeah it's um I feel I feel older and wiser <laughs> coming yeah. through the book myself to be honest so yeah it was it was definitely a journey no and and you we go through that with you in the book it's so beautifully beautifully written and it's it was an absolute pleasure and honor to narrate it um Yay. so you know like I feel like I've read it intimately because I had to read it first then go back and actually read the whole thing you know day by day get yeah. through all the chapters and stuff so I feel like I know the characters well because I've had to just you know think about a voice for them and things like that one of the things that strikes me about it when it's when we look at the different characters is shame you know you talk about you know definitely grief that we see there estrangement all of these things but shame is also Mm -hmm. there and I think that you do well in the book to not overanalyze it because I think that shame is so intimate you know it's so intimate and 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 without spoilers there are those the true friends are the ones that hold space for our shame you know that that know it even when you've got other family members trying to prod and pry even though yeah they might be within their rights to want to know certain things but it's the friends that they'll they'll play dumb they'll be like I don't I don't know (laughs) 
why are you asking me questions? But no, I, it made me think about shame and it made me think about like, for you to have been able to write that way and honor somebody else's shame, what led you there? Like, what are, you know, how did you factor that in? Because usually people would be like, and then she was ashamed about this and then the end. But there is a, <laughs> there is a gentleness and a subtlety, like a subtlety with which you approach that. And whether that was, you know, whether that took you time, like how you went about doing that. Mm. Yeah, I think that it was definitely my own experiences of shame that inspired that and kind of um, working through um, experiences of shame around. Um, so for those who don't know, my husband was um, in prison for a while and um I kind of got caught up in all of that and that was my shame that I carried for like so many years like mm -hmm. so much like to the point where I like I couldn't go out because I think that people be staring at me because they know mm -hmm. like everything's written all over my face yeah, yeah. so um that was my shame for a long a long 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 time and it was um me working through that I think and learning how to treat myself with gentleness as well yes yes because I think sometimes you can be like you know you can be like just get out like come on get out of it because shame mm -hmm. is a lie right shame yeah, yeah, like yeah, shame yes. in itself it's a lie it's a lie yeah and intellectually you can know that it's a lie so you can be like come on man just snap out of it like get with the program like you know fix up mm. but I feel like it was learning how to deal with myself with gentleness and kind of like empathy towards myself and kind of mm. like allowing myself to feel those feelings and kind of being like, you know what, there's a reason why you feel this way, but that doesn't mean that your feelings are the truth. Mm -hmm. Like you're not stupid for feeling like that, but your feelings aren't actually a reflection of the reality around you. And I mm. think that that kind of like journey for me, um, was yeah it was about empathy and it kind of allowed me to write shame in a way that I didn't want it to be kind of like like pathologizing shame yes, and pathologizing yes. people's quote-unquote dysfunction like I've seen people use that word and I don't really believe like there's such a thing as dysfunctional families because we no. all have our we all have our thing but um I didn't want to pathologize it I didn't want to kind of make it like a spectacle because it's real like we have all felt that shame in some shape or form in mm -hmm, each of mm -hmm, our lives mm -hmm. and I wanted it to be something that you could meet on the page recognize it in someone else and hopefully maybe have empathy towards yourself and the feelings that you yourself might have recognized in that person or in that character so yeah that was I mean that did take time that definitely mm -hmm. did take time I think the first draft of Hope and Glory oh my gosh like I think it's weird like I don't want to say I was immature but I kind of was a lot more kind of like black and white and like yeah, okay, yeah. so this is this is the right person and this is the wrong person and this person's wrong for this and this person and yeah. then as I kind of lived with these characters for a while I realized I lived with myself for a while mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and lived with the people around me and kind of looked at people around me as individuals and not kind of like extensions of my mm -hmm. own kind of like melodrama mm -hmm. I realized that there is no there's no like dividing line like that like we're all kind of these wonderful kaleidoscopes of so many different experiences and feelings yes. and um that was something that I just really wanted to 
put on the page, especially in relation to family, especially in relation to Black, British, Nigerian families. Yes. Because, yeah, there's just so much baggage and expectation when it comes to family and honour and tradition and respect and all that kind of thing. But ultimately, we're just flawed humans trying to get yeah. by on this decaying rock. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I wanted to try and get that across on the page. And you did. You did Thank beautifully. You. Big up Peckham, big up. Big, big up SC15, Peknar. Yeah, yeah. I say that's like my second hometown. That was the place I, when I was 18, I got up from Birmingham and I moved and that like Peckham was where I moved to. And that was where I came into my own as an adult. It wasn't all pretty because, you know, 18 year olds, we don't know what we're doing at that age mm-hmm. a lot of the time. But yeah, man, Pe- I just wanted to honor Peckham as well because I love that my mother-in-law still lives there. We like mm-hmm. I'm still there every single week. Like I just love the community that has managed to continue to remain despite yeah, despite Babylon. all the hickey hagar <laughs> that's happening. Yeah, no, you pay it such beautiful homage. Like I, as somebody that you know, I, I moved from Lagos to Peckham when I was five, and so to me, that's all I've ever really known and it's crafted it's shaped my identity so to read a book and to read such a beautiful novel where it's just there in the backdrop and it's there in the backdrop in a beautiful way it's it's not um over romantic it's not romanticized and it's not denigrated it just is and that Mm. is the beauty of it like you know it's it's just great how you've you know brought that to life and I think that what you said about empathy is so true like we we have to show compassion to ourselves and those things and that's why shame as I was reading through it was such a thing that was prevalent when I was reading it everybody every single character has their own shame has their own thing Mm. in terms of like the main characters that we interact with um yeah you know and yet the compassion is shown through your writing for them in that these things happen in life and if we keep having these weird false dichotomies of you're good you're bad mm-hmm. we can't exist fully we can't experience ourselves fully because sometimes we just are we're you know yeah. we just are um and so I thought that was written so well and um communicated so well and as you say it's one of those things where you can only write it from a place when you have deeply deeply experienced it as you say it's a lie but because it's a lie so many people believe in they feel like they can weaponize it against you and that is why it's so important to to work through the shame because um you know I think I can't remember whether it was Zori Neil Hurston or Audrey Lord I'm always misquoting people but they said like nothing that I've you know that I've accepted by my about myself could be used to demean me yes yeah and and so I you know I just think that that is what one of the things one of the themes I think that comes through so strongly when everybody starts looking at their shame when they start talking about their shame suddenly that shame doesn't have the same power anymore and then love actually has more of a space to thrive because if shame is taking up all of the space there's no real space for love and love is very evident in the book as well yeah yeah I think shame thrives in darkness and it thrives Mm. on secrets and it thrives on kind of like it's like a mold in like a like damp kind of like cold mm-hmm. place it thrives but once you like there's that saying like sunlight is the best disinfectant and mm-hmm. sometimes you need to, in the right place with the right people you need to let that light in mm. to kind of expose it for what it is because it is a lie but as you said some people can weaponize it so it is still something that needs to be handled very carefully mm-hmm. and um handled 
um, with love ultimately and kind of um, just acceptance, like that unconditional love and acceptance, which doesn't mean that you tolerate absolutely mm-hmm. anything and mm-hmm. everything from someone, but it means that you can hold the totality of that person. Yes. Their, their, the good bits, the quote unquote bad bits, the contradictions mm-hmm. within mm-hmm. everyone. You can hold the totality of that person and say like, I see you, I feel you. I might not agree with you on every, on everything, but I'm here. And um, that is kind of the, that's what I wanted kind of glory to get to at the end of the book with certain members of her family and, and um, even herself, to be honest, mm-hmm. because yeah, one thing I've found is that people can often weaponize shame because they're trying to deflect from their own shame yes. as well. They're trying to deflect from the stuff that's going on with them. But mm. um, yeah, that's the, that's the journey. That's the journey that I'm on. I still am on. I've been on. I'm growing through and that's what I hopefully wanted to take everyone on as well yeah and you do that you do that in beautifully like I said just I, I love it I really really love it there's book there are books that we've read and we're, we're hoping that they'll be the thing and for me this is it it just it just marries so many different things really really well and my favorite is like the romantic relationship because <laughs> I just love oh, I just love how the relationship is just so south my god the relationship <laughs> is so south <laughs> yeah. are you taking me to this house party <laughs> literally like I had to keep it real man like everyone wants to you know for our lives like we're all eating that yeah. whatever and showing up with Louis Vuitton bags on the first day <laughs> nah man let's keep it real this, 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 this is how we really this is our love language yes <laughs> I love <laughs> oh that that was perfect because I, I I wondered about that I thought oh where are we gonna you know when people have love interest in these books and we're like oh you know it's about this black protagonist and whatever we get to the love bit and it's like I don't recognize this and maybe other people do because you know we're yeah. not a monolith right but what you wrote I was like yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> this makes sense to me <laughs> <And> <laughs> listen that's all I wanted like honestly like when you go through the publishing process like so many people like the book and there were a lot of white people who liked the book and I was like hold on let's get some black people reading this because <laughs> just in <laughs> case I ain't trying to get flogged mate I already said I've dealt with shame nobody's gonna come and flog me <laughs> no no but honestly no one can flog me and I mean saying that like everyone who I've worked with my publishers are absolutely lovely I love mm. them all but you know you want your people to read the book and recognize it for what it is like you don't yeah. want white people to love it and then black people are like sis what did you well, write well done on that <laughs> but nah <laughs> like so I was really excited that um yeah for my community to start reading it and people being like yeah man like I recognize that I recognize that I recognize that person I know who I know yes. someone like that or I've been there or I've done that that was that to me was like yeah I don't get like I mean, bestseller, please, by all means. But I mean, no, as- that's a guaranteed, <laughs> mate. There's no one that can read this and and oh, and not like go yeah. and share it. I gave I gave my copy to my mom. I was like, you need to get into it, baby. Oh. You know, because <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like you write a character, and I'm and instantly I saw 
most of the boyfriends that I've dated in South, like I instantly <laughs> came into my head. I was just like, yeah. And then you described the chain. I said, yeah, yeah. She's been reading my diary. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, it's good to know they're all consistent. <laughs> you know, look at us, look at us, look at us. So, <laughs> so no, I, I, I loved it. I, I love it so, so much. Um, and I can't wait for it to be out in the world because it's April 7th, isn't it? Thursday, April yeah. 7th is out. Um, and so everyone needs to um, get on it, like seriously get on it. It's just beautiful. And then Bola Badge is working on the screenplay. I yeah. can't wait. Yeah. Oh, look, everything coming to life. Everything coming, honestly, it's, it's a dream, really. Like, it's just, a, it's a dream to have you read. It's a dream to have Bola working on it. Mm. It's just like yeah everything everything is coming together and like I said it took a while but now it's like yeah this was the right time it makes sense doesn't it because there's that delay because I was going to ask you you mentioned about the publication um, process earlier where how did it feel like the first time that you were submitting the manuscript to to the first time you got the notes back from the editor you're like yeah um all of that process oh my gosh that was a process so when it went out on submission to like all of so your agent sends it out to like all the publishing houses some of the feedback that was coming back I was ready to fight people I was ready to (laughs) fight people like don't talk about Julian don't (laughs) don't don't, definitely don't talk about Julian I will fight behind Julian (laughs) let me let you know okay but I mean some of the comments that were coming back I was like yeah not in a way that's like uh I didn't like you anyway but it's like yeah you were not you were not the editor because if you don't get this like then I'm not trying to like mess with you on that level yeah um so that was a process but um thankfully um got a deal with trapeze and then the reason and they just got the book from the instant mm. they like they got it they they seem to love everyone as much as I loved everyone so I was like okay yeah that's cool yeah. and then yeah the editing process to be fair it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. I feel like they got it in the first I, I thankfully thank I had good discernment I made the right choice to go with people who got the book yes so when the editing process is going along it's not like it's not like a war because we have the same vision maybe you just see something differently here and you know what I hear you on that on that point actually no so there was kind of like some notes around certain scenes that were included or not included and I was just like now we're not having um like for example there was um one of the characters in the book turns a um, racist incident into a joke in the way that, you know, mm. black people do. Like, mm. when the incident has passed, we could have a little bit of laugh yeah. about it. And there was an, oh, why don't we see this in the book? And I was like, we don't see it in the book because it's not funny in the moment. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's not funny yeah. to experience racism in the moment. It's mm-hmm. afterwards when you can joke with another black person about yes. it. That's when it's funny. So there was, like, little things like that, but that was fine because they got it. They understood. They trusted me. And um, I trusted them. So that process was kind of fine. It was just the, it was just the waiting on my day. Mm. It was the waiting. It was the process like from, from when I signed in like July, 2020 and it's coming out mm. April, 2022. That's nearly two years. Mm. So like all of that process, you go through these moments when you're like, oh, this is the best book in the world. And then you read it again and you're like, hold on. <laughs> hold on. <laughs> And then because of so much of that process that like you are kind of 
work it you haven't sent it out to people yet so mm. your quote-unquote people haven't read it yet so you're thinking like is it like I don't know like I need that I need that gauge to make sure yes. that I've hit the nail on yeah, the yeah, head yeah yeah so you're kind of like going back and forth is it good is it not good is it good is it not good and everyone's like oh no it's gonna be great so that is a bit of a roller coaster of emotion especially when it's something that is so close to you mm-hmm. and um it's like I called it my book baby because it did feel like another I mean two out two years pregnancy is not a joke and I did not wish mm-hmm. to tell anyone <laughs> it, felt like, it felt like my little baby so it was kind of like yeah you're waiting for it to die into the world but all in all I think the process was good because I had good people to work yes. with if I didn't have a good kind of like editorial team or anything like oh my days I think it would have been a nightmare but thankfully yeah. It was fine. And my um my new so Sarita's just come on board as my new editor now at Trapeze. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna be working with a black woman on my next book, which I'm very, <laughs> very excited about. Um so um yeah, it's just it's just like full steam ahead, man. It, it's it's been it's been great. I have to say my experience has been a good one. I know not everyone's experience in yeah. the publishing industry is good, so I can acknowledge that thankfully mine so far has been it's been great no that's been that's beautiful I think that that's important for for you to enjoy the process and it is so true that you have to go with the the team that you feel like they understand you best that way we're not at you know like you that you say we're not at war when I'm like saying oh no this needs to be here for this reason and then you're basically telling me you know it has to be this like this for this reason because you're worried about basically the white people that you want to read it whereas mm. I'm like no but if that happens and then my people come and start cussing me out nobody's <laughs> going to be able to save me you know so like we've got to meet in the middle somewhere uh, you know yeah. I'm taking your artistic direction at the same time I'm telling you about you know this is what it needs to be this is the balance that mm. it needs to be and I just think it's beautifully balanced I think the aunties are so well crafted um uh, auntie yeah <laughs> it's just like oh it's, it's, it's amazing but I'm excited for everybody else to experience it because it's um incredible and then I just wanted to take a moment because you mentioned you know we talk about loss we talk about grief and stuff how you were able to do all of this while experiencing loss and grief mm. yeah it's um I had to take so my mum died in 2018 so I was probably about halfway through writing the book when Mm -hmm. she passed and I just had to take some time from it like I that whole period I didn't try and push like sometimes people find working or like Mm -hmm. pushing through helps but for me I just needed to take some time and obviously deal with um mainly the practicalities the most if I'm if I'm 100% honest, I've only really started grieving her this year. I think yeah. for a long time I ran from those emotions. And the closest I got to grieving her was in writing the book and kind of writing some of this. Because Glory, the, the start of the book, Glory's dad dies, um, which mm-hmm. I'd written before my mum passed. Mm-hmm. Um, so in some ways, I was working through my grief a little bit with the book. But it's only been now that I guess with the weight of this amazing like dream of mine this milestone getting a novel mm-hmm. published and like realizing you know my mom's not here to see it which mm-hmm. is um it's sad but yeah man I think we we just I think especially in this hustle culture there can be a fear of like losing time 
Yes. And that can mean that we don't give space for our feelings. We can just think, oh, and maybe this is just me, but sometimes I, I feel like achievement will make up for whatever mm. lack or sadness mm-hmm. that I'm feeling. But um, in this case, I just had to sit with kind of the space around my mum's death before I could even come back to the book to kind mm. of like write the book. But I do think that in experiencing that loss, maybe I was able to handle some of the characters a bit better, I think maybe with yeah. a bit more softness and empathy yeah. again I feel for me empathy is like a massive theme in this book because I feel like so much of my journey was just learning to be have empathy for myself and other people and mm. um my experiences like whether it was laughs or whatever else kind of allowed me to do that um so yeah I mean all things work together in the end thankfully but um yeah man it's it's not easy and I think I just want to say for anyone who's going through something don't feel like you can turn it into art straight away because <laughs> that that has been my quote-unquote coping mechanism in the past like trying to turn it into something mining your mining your emotions before you've even felt them to be like oh then I must find reason in this I must find purpose in this and it doesn't it's not apparent straight away it really is no no it's it's not apparent straight away and you need to really feel those feelings and you Mm. need to you need to go through that valley whatever that valley is before you can Mm. even make sense of it because so much of it is made sense in hindsight right like mm. you can be in the valley trying to map the way out but you're in the valley you can't see you're not yeah, a bird yeah. you're not flying you can't see what the landscape is until you've come through it and then you can look back and you can realize the lessons that you can take from it the parts that you should share versus yeah. the parts that are just for you and just yeah. for your journal or your diary or whatever so um yeah it's it's all gone into the book but I think some of it is probably a bit hidden because there are some things that you know just for yourself as well yeah yeah that's the precious those are the precious things that need to remain with us and I think sometimes when you're in the midst of grieving or in the valley as you say sometimes you end up oversharing because it's a way of trying to cope with the angst of being where you currently are but obviously that makes me think about like you say Psalm 20 makes me think of Psalm 23 when you mentioned the valley um, of the shadow of death but it says I'll fear no evil for thou art with me we forget that Mm. we're never truly alone right never but then it can feel like that and there are so many deaths that we experience throughout our lives the the minute ones and the you know the not so minute ones because there's a dying and there's a rebirth every single day in so many different ways Mm. and yet we move through some of them so flawlessly we don't even clock what's happened and then there is the one there are the ones that we do clock and that's when we're like rah I'm alone but at the same time you the, the, but you weren't alone when you did the flawless one so you're sure as hell yeah. not alone yeah. now yeah. but we see that we see so many deaths and rebirths within the story um one that kind of leaves us leaves us optimistic at the end but um you yeah. know I just love it I love it all um but no thank you thank you Jendela for gifting this book to the world for for really staying true because there's been a lot and you know we don't hang out but watching you from I would say afar we've worked together but watching Mm. you from afar navigate so many different things and 
still be this light like you're you just have such a beautiful um presence about you and really kind of just as you say taking everyone as they are like you've never struck me as like like you've just taken everyone as they are which is what also comes across in the book I just wanted to say thank you for that thank you for just you've seen me seen so many other people taking us as we are and um you know, I just wish you all of the blessings. I wish you all of the blessings. Thank you all so of the much. Things. You deserve it. Thank you. Thank you. I'm just really grateful. I, I, it's just a great time to be a Black woman right now. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm just really grateful for all the people that are around doing what they're doing, whether mm-hmm. I work directly with them, whether I don't, because I feel like ultimately we're just like building this world mm-hmm. that... <laughs> The world that we needed as children growing up, but we have the privilege of building that world for the next kind of like coming generations. Um, so I'm just, yeah, I'm just really grateful to be alive right now. To be honest. <laughs> yes, like, it's, it it's, just, it's just good. Like, I'm just grateful. It's just wonderful. Like watching what you do, watching what other people do, mm-hmm. being able through Black Ballad to work with so many Black yes. women. Yes. It's just like, this is... Like this is what life's about, just giving and receiving from yes. others and just sharing and sharing the platform, sharing the light, sharing the opportunities because we don't live in isolation. No. And that whole time of like one black person at the table, one person through the door, that like that time has no. gone and yeah. we can all move forward together. So I'm just really grateful to be on that journey with everyone else. Thank you. Thank you. So told you all, um, uh hope and glory's out april 7th so yeah. you can pre-order now so as you're listening to this so it can arrive at your door boom 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 on the day yeah. of publication and game audio book guys you need to get the audio book even if you're getting the print book so many people are like i've got the pre i pre-ordered the physical book i pre-ordered the audio book i'm ready, I'm ready. <laughs> if you're impatient pre-order the audio book because it will drop in your audible boom bam 7th of april and um yes. yeah if you're not a book reader because not everyone is, I have heard a very good authority from a very non-book reader in my life mm. that the audiobook bangs. They said this is Aye. a very flavoursome audiobook. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you have it. There you have it. We're not biased or anything, but you know, not get involved. Get involved. Get involved. <laughs> no, but seriously, thank you, Jen. two slaps on your chest for being so magnificent in everything that you do. Super, super happy for you and super proud of you. Um, so thank you for joining me. My pleasure. Have a great day, guys absolutely amazing conversation with Jendela. We've chatted so much like throughout the times, but you can see how much of a vibe I think that um, Hope and Glory is. I can't wait for you all to get into it. Um, Julian is sexy. (laughs) That's the thing about books. You can't see the person, but as far as I'm concerned, Julian is sexy. So just so you know. Anyway, let me big up the second of this week's show sponsors who are better help. Now, whether it's relationships with a person or relationships that your grandmother had with the Commonwealth, relationships are a hard work, especially the most important one that you can have in your life, which is the relationship with yourself. A lot of us will drop anything to go and help someone we care about. We'll go out of our way to treat other people well, but how 
often do we get to um, be that kind of person for ourselves and give ourselves the same treatment. I know that I struggle with it, which is why I've had my week of chillaxing. So this month, BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you that you matter just as much as everyone else does. And therapy is a great way to make sure you show up for yourself. And, you know, I've had years and years and years of therapy and I really feel like that spills over into this show and allows me to show up in the way that I can show up for myself and for the collective and stick up for myself um, and for the collective, you know, because I've been able to, um, over the years, work out where I end and where the, uh, the rest of the world begins. So BetterHelp is an online therapy service that offers you video, phone and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Give it a try and see why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp online therapy. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Say Your Mind listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash your mind. That's better, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash your mind. So um, yeah, go and get loved up on and, um, you know, see that you deserve your attention too. Okay, so let's get to So You Mad. You know that this week on So You Mad, I was not going to start with any other story other than Kate and William going to, they need, they try to forward to the islands and get you gold, no spray tan. They didn't get gold. They didn't get nothing. They just got told to kick rocks. Oh my God. Wow. I mean, it's embarrassing. Last week or the week before, Belize told you to kick rocks or the, you know, the villages in Belize told you that you can fuck off. And then now this week you go to Jamaica and Jamaicans are like, yeah, we don't, um, we're not feeling you either, babes. We're not. We, we would rather not. We, we would prefer to not. In the grand scheme of things, we would prefer to not. Um, and I think that's important. I think that's important when people say they don't want to be your friend anymore. Like, I feel like you have to listen like, Hadika, I'm sorry, I'm sorry that your grandmom's um, passed away in that, but, um, like, you, what, you, no one can force me to be your friend, you know? Um, so it says here, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge arrived in Jamaica amid protests and impassioned calls for them to apologise for the monarchy's role in slavery. Campaigners and leading politicians on the Caribbean island said Prince William and Kate's visit was ill-timed and ill-conceived. The island nation is um, odds... Um, on to be the next British realm to dump the Queen as head of state, following on from Barbados, which last year officially became a republic. Uh, Prince Charles formally acknowledged the appalling atrocity of slavery in the Caribbean, saying it forever stains our history. At the ceremony in Barbados to mark the country's new beginning, around 60 protesters gathered to tell them to basically piss off. Um, they did this outside the British High Commission in Jamaica, um, calling for slavery reparations. I don't like the way that the royal family says things like, oh, slavery is a stain on our history. No, because it's still part of your present, because you're still part, you're still the monarchy, you're still the royal family. So it's a, sta- it's, a, it's a stain currently on your present, not just your history. So what are you talking about? And that is it. Like words mean things and language is so important. And when they do things like that, they're being very, very um, careful about the words that they use. They're not using the words by chance. They are very careful with how they're choosing those words. Anyway, basically, um, Andrew Holness, 
ended up telling them, um, you know, who's the current leader of Jamaica, he was like, well, you know, from what the girlies have been telling me, because, you know, the intelligistas or however you say them, them lot and all the protesters were like, no, we don't want them. We don't want them. So when they arrived, um, Andrew Holness, he didn't even allow them to sit down. Lord God, like they arrived and, you know, he was chatting with them and he was like, oh, yeah, basically this won't take long. Um, we are planning to start those proceedings with removing Lilibet um, as our head of state with immediate effect. Like when your back turns, when your long backs turn around, who baby, we are getting the show on the road. We're getting this show upon the river and upon that bank. Okay. Um, he's signal that plane, signal that plane because you're getting right back on it. Um, that was basically it. They were just like, Nope, don't want you here. Jamaica will begin the process of removing the queen as head of state. As soon as William and Kate have flown home. Um, that's perfect. Um, a large group of protesters are expected outside the, that happened outside the high commission and British high commission. And that started a domino effect of everybody basically being like, you got to go, you got to go, baby. Um, but this is what we need. This is exactly what we needed. Um, one of the statements was that we see no reason to celebrate 70 years of the ascension of your grandmother to the British throne because her leadership and that of her predecessors have perpetuated the greatest human rights tragedy in the history of humankind. And that is so important for people to clock because people act like slavery was just this thing, just this blip. It was genocide. It was the greatest atrocity of all time. And I'm saying that with all of my chest, based on the duration, based on just how many people were affected by it, based on the kind of things that were done to people that, yet because it happened to black people, no reason people are still trying to talk around it and do mental gymnastics. Why? Um, so I'm glad that they got shunned. I'm glad that they got told to kick rocks. Um, that's all that they deserve. Um, it says here, San Juan Puerto Rico protesters in Jamaica raised their fists Tuesday as they donned t-shirts emblazoned with a pair of um, shackled black wrists surrounded by the phrases, um, say us sorry and apologize now as they demonstrated just hours before Prince William and Kate arrived. The protest in front of the British High Commission in Kingston comes a couple of days after dozens of prominent leaders in Jamaica publicised the letter demanding that Britain apologise and award its former colony slavery reparations. They also decried the week-long Central American and Caribbean tour that the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge embarked on Saturday, which coincides with Jamaica's 60th independence anniversary and the 70th anniversary of Queen Elizabeth's second coronation. <clears throat> Um, well, Queen Elizabeth II's coronation, I should have said that correctly. Kings, queens and princesses and princes belong in fairy tales, not in Jamaica, read one poster held aloft by a young girl who joined the protest. The royal couple's trip, which began with a stop in Belize, followed by scheduled visits to Jamaica and the Bahamas, was organised at the Queen's behest um, at, as some countries debate cutting ties to the monarchy like Barbados did in November. Mike Henry, a veteran Jamaican lawmaker, said in a phone interview that while the topic has been discussed, he worries that demands for an apology and reparations would be rendered moot if the island stopped pledging allegiance to the Queen. Um, Maziki Tame, fame, um, a senior lecturer at the University of the West Indies, noted that Jamaicans have been seeking reparations for decades. 
This is not a new cause, she said in a phone interview as she was prepared to join the protest. Um, the question is whether it will get any traction, whether the British are ready to contend with their history. The British Empire controlled Jamaica for more than 300 years and forced hundreds of thousands of African slaves to toil I prefer to say the enslaved Africans, to toil the island under brutal conditions. Sugar replaced tobacco and cocoa as the main crop, with some 430 sugar estates reported by the mid-1700s, up from 57 nearly a century prior, according to Jamaica uh, Information Services, a government agency. Um, the group protesting the royal visit noted in its letter that the British raped and killed thousands of slaves as it sought an apology for 60 reasons including for refusing to acknowledge the historic trade in africans as a crime against humanity and for pretending that the british led the abolition movement when our ancestors worked prayed and fought hard for this thames the university professor said she and many other jamaicans are not celebrating what is known as the queen's platinum jubilee that doesn't speak to us in the way they might imagine that speaks to us she said in the 20th century, Jamaicans have moved beyond celebrating the crown. Prince William and Kate are scheduled to spend two days in Jamaica, where they're expected to meet with government officials and tour Trenchtown, ha, of all the places, the gritty birthplace of Rocksteady and Reggae, where Bob Marley grew up. Um, ahead of their trip, Jamaican singer Beanie Man told TV show Good Morning Britain that the UK still controls the Commonwealth of Jamaica. It's all about the Queen and the Queen serve and the Queen this and that. But what are they doing for Jamaica? They're not doing anything for us. The monarchy has said that Britain and Jamaican ha Jamaica have a strong trade relationship with the island exporting goods, including rum and raw cane, um, raw cane sugar to the UK. It also noted the creation of programs targeting poverty, security, natural disaster management, social issues and the economy. An estimated 55,000 British citizens live in Jamaica, while some 800,000 people um, of Jamaican descent live in the United Kingdom. The relationship between the two countries soured in recent years after some Caribbean people who had long lived in Britain legally were denied jobs, housing or medical care, with some deported because they didn't have the required paperwork, which obviously was burned by, um, what's her name? That turkey looking one, uh... What's her name gone out of my head? That Jankro. Um, the one that they always say is a, is a boss babe. Why have I forgotten her name? Her name's not Margaret Thatcher. You know who I mean. The last um, uh, one, Theresa May. That's it. I had literally had to think of Tresemme to remember. Theresa May and Amber Rudd. Them complexes. Them complexes squared. Them thin lip dragons. It was because of them because what they're talking about here is the Windrush scan scandal and um, they um, they fucked up the paperwork burned it and Britain has since apologized and pledged compensation and people have died not even seen their compensation so what now and I just don't like that people are like oh but if it was Meghan and Harry coming maybe they would have received a different reception and I'm just like no but in one way or another they are still representing the monarchy yes they have moved away from it and they you know because of how they were treated by the firm and everything else but um they would just have to leave those titles alone completely in order to be seen separately from it. Otherwise, they still remain complicit in one way or another. And also, when you keep saying, oh, it's the Meghan and Harry effect, I think that dickhead Dan, whatever his name is, tried to blame Meghan for, you know, um, the cold reception or you know, the rightful reception, the rightful reception that Kate and William received when they went to Jamaica. He wrote one dickhead piece trying to blame her for it. And it's just like, no... 
again, this is racist, not just because you're dragging Megan into it when she's been minding her business over wherever she is in California or wherever, um, but more so for the fact that, like, you seem to think that these people, these groups of people across these countries are incapable of thinking for themselves and haven't been doing so for decades before this. I'm saying decades, centuries, because they battered you lot up. A lot of these Caribbean islands battered you lot up. And that's why you had to abolish the thing. That's why you had to go, because it no longer made business sense, because every day you were getting fucked up. So you had to, your plantations were getting burned, everything. You didn't do it out of the goodness of your heart. You, could, you did it because you were getting fucked up. And so, with that being said, there's always, within the, within the very cellular um, kind of configuration of us as people of the African diaspora, we have always rebelled. We have always fought against the, these, these nasty, nasty structures. And I'd be interesting to, it would be interesting to see how Mars and Saturn play out with these conversations happening. You know, we've always fought against these structures. So don't make it out like we just sat back and we just waited for the good old Massa to be like, oh no, now you can have your freedom. Cause that's not what happened. If you weren't getting brocked up left, right and center, you would not have divested from your fuckery. And even then you did not, you did not give up so you know wholly you're still the puppet masters in a lot of these countries you are still you know instrumental in destabilizing a lot of these countries anyway so why are we pretending it's just mad so anyway I was in a twitter space and we were discussing all of this and I was pretty much saying the same thing and talking about the fact that I I really don't like how we try to romanticize um the the um kind of uh involvement that certain people have in situations and naturally I mentioned about Megan but following the Oprah interview now I wrote an essence piece prior to that interview I believe where I was just like you know what go get your prince leave this country fuck them go like go I look back on that piece now and I just think I should have written that more I should have written that differently because I want people to be happy, you know, but then it was some things that she said in that Oprah interview that just made me uncomfortable when she was like, oh, I wanted to go to these countries and make the royal family proud. At that point, you already knew what they were about. And so if you're saying that you had this degree in international relations or whatever your international politics, whatever your degree was in, you should have been aware of the history of the royal family at this point. And you even said yourself that your friends let you know that Britain is another whole devil altogether. And yet you were still like, no, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And I wanted to make them proud. So therefore you were willing at that stage to have been complicit. And the only reason that that didn't go ahead is because you just got to see just how racist Britain is. And you're like, ooh, 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 I need to go. And I'm glad that you went and you're living your life. This was the point I was making. Suddenly these Stan accounts started their nonsense. And they were like, oh my God, she's a rag. You have a mixed race son. You said she's complicit because she's mixed race. And I was just like, but see how you lot with your Stan accounts, you have a sickness. You're sick you're sick you're tapped you're unwell like because what is this that you're saying right now firstly at your big big age I'm sorry I don't care who the fuck is offended by listening to this portion of the podcast but you are not okay as a human if you wake up in your day and you go and you log into an account where you your only your only goal from that account is to stand somebody who doesn't even know who the fuck you are unless you are that person and you're backing yourself or you're part of their team and this is the whole machine that you lot have going on to defend these people because I personally think it's disgraceful there is nobody I'm not a fan of anybody like that nobody 
nobody I, there is no human walking this earth that I'm going to log in and I'm going to start caping for like a mad person. There is nobody. So I really find it so fucking ludicrous when I see people like dedicating their entire pages to doing just that. It's truly at this stage, it's a sickness like that. It has to be. I'm so disgusted by it. Like you can't offend me when I'm seeing how pathetic your life is because that's what you log on to do. Hashtag this, hashtag that, hashtag suck your mother till you pass out. And the same thing for your mother too. It's wild. And on the other hand, I do believe that a lot of the, I would say, and we'll never know if I'm right. Well, we might know, but we won't know if I'm right until maybe like seven years from now, right? I would say 40 to 50% of the accounts that we interact with online are not the people who we think they are. I feel like there are a lot of government accounts and you know, you lot know, I've been saying this from before because there are certain ways that these lot tweet. And if you take some of the tweets and you search it, you find that somebody else, they don't follow each other, but they've tweeted pretty much exactly the same thing about the same subject. So I'm aware that there are troll farms. I'm aware that there are all of these things, but I feel like there are accounts like some, obviously we've got the humans that are already doing the work for the CIA and the FBI and the MI6. Like we've already got like people, everyday people who are wayward enough to basically be doing these people's jobs for them because they're so fucking stupid. But I do believe that there are accounts that are set up to just do this and to foster confusion. Like they're literally employed to foster confusion and they'll give themselves names to appear black. We saw one person, a few people actually get caught out a few months back and it turned out that there was some Russian bot thing or some person was operating them and for ages people thought that this was a black person account and they were tweeting up the things and everything else had bare followers and that's what I think about you Mona all you want to do what is it um um Lewis and Lewis Hamilton and Megan that's what you've dedicated your life to if you're a real person you're the most pathetic person on the face of the earth along with your crew your clan because there is a way to have nuanced conversations. There is a way to have one opinion while simultaneously also holding another opinion. It's possible for numerous things to be true at the same time. But you stands or you government accounts, you, all you want to do is foster confusion. And that to me is very, very sad. This wayward bitch, if it is a person, whoever it is, it, they were very much tweeting, as in my opinion, like a white man, simply because of the way somebody responded to them. And they were like, oh, well, what do you expect from redacted? Who's redacted? What would, what, gr what group do I fall into that you would call it redacted? Unless you were going to say, well, what do you expect from niggers? Which would mean that you know that the person that you're talking to is not a nigger. But they're, they're performing as such to make these statements. And allegedly, you don't live in the US, but you're always involved in UK conversation. No, sorry, you live in the US, but you're always involved in UK conversations. There are so many bad mind people online, but I definitely think that something is going on that we need to be very, very careful of where companies are doing these things undercover and they're trying to drive particular narratives. And some might actually appear to be stan accounts, but what they're actually trying to do is antagonize people. So those people have the opposite um, opinions to them. Do you get what I mean? So they're more detrimental to somebody like Megan than actually helping her because they're trying to stifle any conversation that could be nuanced enough to actually make her persona more robust. 
that's what I think anyway. I just think it's really, really odd. Like that is all your account does. Like you don't have anything else. I think stands are weird anyway. All the barbs, the navy, the this, the that. I'm glad that all of these people have people that support them. But please let us be guided. Support people with sense. Like do it with compassion. But you'll just come and you'll be typing anyhow. She wrote, oh, um, so you're there uh what is it on this bird app slating megan where she's the only reason that your ugly ass has ever been on tv that's why i can't stand these black british activists um they're only in it for one sole purpose um that's why i like um that's why afro is my girl I'm sorry, that sounded like a government account. I'm just roughly paraphrasing from what I remember that it said because I laughed out loud. When I tell you I cackled because literally every line was comedy, beautiful comedy. Because you started with... You're on this bird app slating Megan. First of all, she was in that Twitter space that I held that had like pretty much a thousand people in it off the cuff. That was the least of our conversations. Made the, made the comment and moved on. You lot are the ones that are focusing on the fact that, oh, well, how can she say that Megan was complicit and da, da 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 when she is with a white Polish man? Is my husband, is my husband the head of Poland? So why do you think that those two things correlate? The same thing that I said to that other complex that I cussed out the last week. And she actually came back, Carmen's granddaughter. And that's another government account. I'm telling you, all these accounts with black women's faces, I don't believe they're black women. I really, really do not. Start calling them what they are. Tell them to to reveal themselves because it's actually disgusting at this point. They're so weird. They're so malevolent. Like, they're so disgusting, like, pathetic. But again, whoever's running them, I've said, upon you and your family, sudden death. That's all I wish for you. Illness, all of that onto you. Like, or if what you want to do is cause misery for somebody that's trying to just do the best that they fucking can in this life and in this world, then that's truly all you deserve. Like you deserve the worst things to happen to you. That is what you deserve. But, um, oh yeah, you're Slate and Megan. No, we mentioned her and we moved the fuck on. We started talking about other things, but you're telling me, oh, don't talk about Megan being complicit because she's biracial. You have a mixed race child. Don't speak about your child like that. I want that woman to come back on this stage and take back what she said. Take back what? Take back what? Be full of chat. I mean, now take it back. Like I said, like what is there to take back? Because nobody was talking about anything to do with biraciality. And what I think is interesting is that you need to ask yourself, when I'm not online, what do you actually know about me? I've got over 100 and well, this would be what my 181st episode of this podcast. What do you actually know about me if I'm not online? Only so many people can actually call my phone, like my phone phone, not my business phone, my phone phone. Only so many people can do that. The only thing that you know about me is this Polish husband, right? That you'll be running up, up and down. Where did you find that information from? Did I not give it to you? So actually, apart from the information that I've given to you, you actually know nothing about me. A real bad man, only a real bad man can pull that off. And it's also about letting you know fucking boundaries. So you don't know much. And this is, again, why I feel like it's so elementary, like what people try, because you're running with the same rhetoric. You'll tell me that I have a white husband and then what will happen? What will happen? Will my point then become void? Likely not because I'm still more intelligent than a lot of you motherfuckers. So what now? Okay then. So, oh, well, she she said that about Megan being complicit and that she married into the most disgusting, most savage, most barbaric family in the history of this country. She married into that, knowingly, unknowingly, whatever the fuck. Because of how badly they and this country treated her, she left. 
My point to you is that she was willing up until a point to be complicit. Just admit that and we can move the conversation on. That's it. And I've said that numerous times. I haven't changed my tune, even though, like I said, that Essence article, I could have written it differently, but I knew the tone that the Americans wanted for it. And at that point, the um, interview hadn't happened from what I remember. So, um, yeah, it was just, yeah, it was just wild. But honestly, it doesn't faze me anymore. Like I said, you like the more that I do research into the metaphysical into the esoteric, like all of that stuff, into Yoruba spirituality, I'm just like losing interest in what stupid fucking humans have to say. Like, I really don't care because you can only be operating from that space if you're really deeply unhappy. And having experienced unhappiness for quite a lot of like the beginning of my life, I just... I just have no interest. Like I've served my time. I've paid my dues. I'm all about, I'm all about peace and, and, and joy and love and light your ass the fuck up. If you try it in, that's it. That's it. I'm just a gentle babe. Don't look for my trouble because if you find it, you're not going to like it. But I do think that we have to have very, very serious conversations about these burner accounts and what they're doing but and you know these stan accounts whatever the fuck they want to call themselves and my same my same um theory still applies some of you this have these pages and you always use a light-skinned person because you want to remind us that either you're light-skinned or you want to um enter into some kind of hierarchy that you feel like will work in your favor thus acknowledging that colorism exists whether you say it or not right so i only go on tv because i only got invited on tv because of megan that clearly you don't know about me you don't know about a bad man like me because I've been out here talking about more interesting things than the fucking royal family. I tell you that for nothing, right? And it's only out of choice that I stopped going on TV because it's just like, it's going to get to a point where I'm literally going to headbutt somebody on live TV and there's no point. Like, let me just leave it. So I left it. That's that. Oh, um, yeah, well, um, these black British activists, again, who's an activist? Who are you talking about? Me? Me? I'm a baby girl. Don't have, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know her. Who said that? Who said that? Now, why am I in it? Got nothing to do with me. And then to finish it off with, oh, they're so self-interested. Who am I going to be interested in other than myself? People make self-interest and self-centeredness sound so odd. Like who else am I going to be interested? And who would I be centered in if I was not centered upon myself? Because again, you can only run that rhetoric if you're trying to hold me up to the ideals of being an activist. I'm not. I'm yeah, I'm here for me. And at the same time, being here for me as an extension of being here for the collective. But I'm not going to come here and be suffering from any, for anybody. You got that the fuck wrong. I'm not suffering from a, for a single motherfucker. Let you know that from now. Wild behavior. And then to finish off with, that's why um, Afro is my girl. And that says it all. If anything gave away what your account is all about, it was that last line. No disrespect to Afwa, but really? Okay. <laughs> Me, there are things that I could say, but 
I won't say it because that's what accounts like you want to do because you want to foster animosity between people who are just on their paths doing what they do. Everyone's minding their business. I'm just minding my business at the end of the day. But again, it comes back to what I've said for so many episodes before that some of you are only able to cite certain people because of the fact that they're biracial and light skinned. So therefore you're seeing them more. That doesn't mean that they're any more accomplished or more intelligent than I am. It's just because of the way that this racist system has placed people in order to allow those who they deem more palatable to be the voices that are heard but my voice will be heard regardless and I'm here to stay baby so you better get used to it well don't get used to it because you won't be here for much longer I promise you that um so just wanted to say that that I went off on a tangent then but I really need to get that off my chest um anyway one other thing that I read I thought was super interesting was about how nutrition would you believe it once nutrition is improved in prisons it actually means that um you know violence goes down who would have thunk it who would have thought that if you just fed people who you've imprisoned well and gave them the right nutrition, their bodies could operate in a way and they wouldn't be so miserable. They'd feel a bit healthier and thus they would have no, well, less of a need to be fighting each other because they feel better. I mean, although you still have them locked up, which I still think is fucked up. Um, but I read here that um, in prisons, suicide, self-harm and assaults on officers are on the rise. But studies suggest there is a cheap, low-risk way to improve inmate behaviour and mental health, making the facilities safer for both staff and prisoners. Um, scientific progress is characterised by the transition from the supernatural to the natural and the mystical to the comparatively mundane. Before the modern era of psychology and neuroscience, mental illness was understood to be evidence of the supernatural, demonic possession, unhappy deities or vengeful curses. Unusual behaviour would be addressed through prayer, um, penance and exorcism. I mean, they're still doing that in the Catholic Church. This was written by Kimberly Wilson, by the way, um, uh, in Science Focus. It says... um, Well, I'm jumping to the bits that I like. Um, A series of studies have found that improving prisoners' nutrition reduces incidents of violence by, on average, 30%. Can you imagine? Just giving them better nutrition lessens violence by, on average, 30%. This is a fascinating and remarkable series of results that should make us think very carefully about the food that we choose for ourselves, feed to our children, or provide to um, provide in our institutions. Decades of research have found a relationship between nutritional status and child behavior. Omega-3 fatty acids make up about 35% of brain cell membranes and are important for neurons to send and receive messages. These dietary fats are therefore crucial during early brain development from conception to two and a half years old. Um... It says here, in fact, according to a study uh, published in March 2021, the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, low um, omega-3 intake during pregnancy is associated with smaller brain size in childhood. Um, Another research paper published in the Journal of Pediatrics um, in 2014 found a link between early malnutrition and behavior in children aged five to six, with those who had low fatty acid intake more likely to show behaviors like physical aggression, um, defiance and vandalism. And obviously, if you start thinking about those who have access to better foods that would provide these nutrients, you can see how things that look like all biological or racial things are actually socioeconomic things. And that's how they play out. 
But I was just really interested in um, the prison food aspect, which says there are few regulations on the quality of food in prison. In the UK, the prison rules, which is a piece of legislation that governs how prisons are run, stipulates that prison food should be wholesome, nutritious, well-prepared and served, reasonably varied and sufficient in quantity. In reality, this is subject to wide interpretation since terms like wholesome and nutritious have no clinical definition. Additionally, prison food in the UK is provided by a private contractors meaning that profit margins and shareholder returns factor into the variety and quality of food provided according to nutrition charity the food foundation it costs 5.99 per day for an adult to meet the uk's eat well healthy diet recommendations on average of two an average of two pounds a day is spent on prisoners meals imagine that this means that typically the meals on offer are highly refined, ultra processed food um, of low nutrient density. The standard breakfast pack is composed of a 30 gram variety pack size box of breakfast cereal, sachets of coffee, tea and sugar, a carton of milk, white and sometimes brown bread for toast, jam and margarine. Um, lunch is usually a white bread sandwich served with crisps, biscuits and a piece of fruit. Images obtained from a serving male prisoner depict the reality of the dinner provided, battered fish and chips, sausages and hash browns, paste, uh, pasty and potatoes. Um, having worked in a large women's UK prison for a number of years, I can verify this was typical of the food on offer. A highly processed diet with little fresh produce is likely to contribute to deficiencies in micronutrients known to be supportive to healthy brain structure and function, such as folate and magnesium um, found in leafy green vegetables and omega-3 fats found in oily fish. The discussion around prison nutrition often becomes contentious in relation to philosophical conflicts as to whether the function of prison is rehabilitation or punishment. But whether or not you think offenders deserve quality food, the relationship between improved nutrition and overall prison safety is much less complicated. Um, the UK government's most recent figures show that suicides in prison, uh, prison have increased 13% compared to the previous 12 months. In the most recent quarter, self-harm in men's prisons rose by 8% and a whopping 4 47% in women's. At the same time, the number of assaults on staff rose by 14%. The numbers are growing in the wrong direction and the nutrition could provide a quick and achieve, um, an achievable remedy. Um, it's a really, really interesting article. Those are the kind of things I like to read while you lot are spending your time um, screaming and crying into somebody else's vagina who doesn't know who the fuck you are. Um, I want to read things about, you know, things like this, like, okay, I can't get rid of the prison system anytime soon, but can we at least get them better food? Because people like prisoners are people. I, I know that there are people in there that have done wild, wild, wild things. At the same time, let them eat food. Like not even on a Marie Antoinette thing of like, let them eat cake, but like, let them eat veg, please. Let them eat veg something like the way that we dehumanize people in this life is truly wild to me sometimes I just sit down and I deep it and I'm like this is fucking mad this is ridiculous um and you know the stats are there to support it if you don't want your prison officers to get brucked up give the people some carrots and some spinach it will make a difference truly truly um 
So yeah, I thought that was interesting. And talking about imprisonment, my last So You Mad for this week um, is about Nazanin Sagari uh, Ratcliffe, who has been called ungrateful for the fact that she mentioned that um, there have been five home secretaries who have um, been in their positions or changed out of those positions during the time that she was a prisoner of war, I guess, um, is it war she was she was held she was um held in um iran for six years and um finally she got released um and you know her husband a white man was there talking about oh well you know um thank you to the you know home secretary or whoever for you know for helping her come out and she was like no no actually i don't agree with richard on thanking the foreign secretary because I have seen five foreign secretaries over the course of the six years. Um, I was told many times that we're going to get you home, but that never happened. I'm not even, I'm not going to even trust you. She's allowed to say that. She's allowed to say that because she was held in Iran for six years because of you lot's drama, Britain's drama with Iran. You lot owed Iran 400 million pounds from the 1970s. You're suddenly, you pay off the 400, you pay them the 400 million pounds and whoop-de-doo, they release Nazanin. Now, the thing is, there are other people who haven't had the same kind of, like they haven't had a husband who's white, I guess, who's been campaigning for them to get them released and doing all of that work. Because I definitely believe if Nazanin's husband wasn't white, it might have been a different situation. Because they would have been like, well, you are also a dual nationality citizen. You are also Iranian as well as British. So they can have you. Pretty much the same thing that they did to Shamima. They'll be like, you can, they can have you. But it was her, it's her proximity to whiteness in this case through her marriage that meant that they couldn't just sweep it under the carpet and forget her. But as Nazanin rightfully said in that interview, she was like, there are other people like me that we don't know their names. And um, they've probably been in these situations for, for a long, long time. And, you know, they're still, they're yet to, to be released. Like, what are the, what is the foreign, foreign secretary doing? Who do we have at the moment? Liz Truss? I don't trust her. <laughs> what a name. Um, but, you know, it's just coincidence, I feel like, she came out during, you know, Liz's kind of, um, you know, time in that position. But the fact that five of you, five of you came and went because you were never concerned about actually doing the work. All of you just wanted to chop money, chop money, chop money. But it's interesting that you've got so many white people, so many different accounts talking about, oh, well, she's ungrateful. She's finally back. We used 400 million pounds of the taxpayer's money to get her back. No, you the fuck you didn't. You really didn't. It's money that you owed Iran. If Britain wasn't walking out around here like a straggly hoe, like a raggedy bitch, and actually was paying people what was owed, that situation would not... You, you're, you're looking for enemies everywhere. And then when you now have to pay through your nose, pay these enemies back, you don't know what to do with yourself. Where's the four trillion or the trillions and trillions that um, Rishi Sunak needs to still account for? He doesn't know, but he's telling us that we'll all figure it out. Like, we'll figure it out. He's the richest member of parliament, but the rest of us will figure it the fuck out, how we're going to pay these energy bills and how we're going to pay to eat some food, even, you know, just live life. He's like, you'll sort yourselves out. And what's mad is that the next election, you'll vote the Tories back in again, because why? You lot are wayward and you like suffering. It's very mad very mad times. But Nazanin, as far as I'm concerned, is not ungrateful. And this is the thing where we try to stop women from being angry. 
it's racialized because now Janine, being a woman of color, you're telling her that she can't be angry because, you know, oh, well, you're, you're, you're free now, you're, you're home now. Think about the amount of trauma she's carrying, all that post-traumatic stress, right? All the time, all the anxiety, all the, all the dashed hopes, all of that, all the time away from her freaking daughter, all of that time. And you're like, oh, well, she's ungrateful. As if you would have been any different in that situation. Well, maybe you would have, because you lot are so delusional. They'd be like, oh, no, I'm just so rural Britannia. Yeah, Great Britain, great, great, great Britain. While Great Britain is greatly fucking you in your eyeballs. Madness. But no, Nazanin, talk your thing. Like, you have every right to say what you said. People are mad out here, and they need to be told just that as far as I'm concerned. Like, yeah, it is what it is. Um, anyway, let's get to start your motors then. I'll try and keep it brief, although so many things happened. Woo! Start your motors. So this season has definitely shaken things up due to the new car regulations. And I guess this is what they wanted. They wanted closer racing, like we saw um well yesterday, by the time you listen to this, at the um Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. Now, I didn't tweet through all of that. I watched I didn't watch qualifying, but obviously I found out what happened in qualifying with um, Lewis Hamilton being out in Q um, at the end of Q1. But um, I didn't tweet, I didn't post on Insta. Why? Because sometimes notice what happens in my absence. Because I'll be here bigging people up. People will be talking to me anyhow. Somebody, one of them, as far as I'm concerned, government stand accounts was like, oh, well, you're saying this about Megan, but have you sat down to critique Lewis accepting the knighthood? Bitch, I did that. I've got 180 something fucking episodes. I've I've done that. It's not me that you can run that stupid rhetoric with. And I don't know why you think Hamilton is my kryptonite. I don't know the guy. I'm kind to him. I'm kind to a lot of people, but that's it. I'm not a stand like you, man. If somebody does something that I don't agree with, I'll respectfully say, mm, that's not my bag, but I can support you in all your other endeavors. That's fine. We can, we can disagree there. Hopefully, because I'm right, you'll come onto my side. But until then, you do your thing. I get why you're doing it. Do your thing. But to, to talk about, oh, well, da, 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 shut up. You don't know me. Shut up. Fuck off. Slow wine on a knife. Fuck off. Anyway back to start your motors. Gosh, so many things to say, but feel what happens when I'm not, when I'm not posting, because some of you who work there, who are in high positions at Formula One, will be there chatting for a bit. They're not responding to emails, but be watching all of my stories, then be posting about, oh, well, you know, this, that, this, that. (sighs) Let me not even give too much away, but I see you, boo. Anyway, um, this is what they wanted in terms of a race that was close. We saw what happened with Leclerc and Verstappen. It was, it was, it was a good, it was a really good, you know, show. I would say that's probably what they thought that they were trying to do in Abu Dhabi when, um, they gave the championship to Max, but that's not what ended up really happening. Um, but we see that with the regulations and everything, it's definitely meant to take the um, dominance away from Mercedes. But I really don't know what's happening with the Mercedes car at the moment. I just think it's a case of them trying to figure out what the right setup is for the car. But once they do, I know that they'll be back in the game because Hamilton was really doing bits. The strategy was just, it just got fucked up when um, the safety car, or no, we had the, was it virtual safety car that we had? 
I think it was virtual safety car that we had. And basically the pit lane was closed. So he couldn't go in and change his tires. That would have been a great time for him to change his tires. And he couldn't. So the lead that he'd, you know, you know, the position that he'd gotten himself in after starting in um, 15th, um, starting 15th on the grid ended up getting fucked. Um, Cause he worked himself all the way up to fifth only for that whole, it was just unlucky. It was unlucky. But then again, when I'm not there shouting publicly, given the vibes, what do we expect? Um, although that's very um, <laughs> self-centered. I don't control the world. Um, so yeah, there was a lot of drama this week. The main thing that we need to talk about is the fact that a missile went off nine miles away um, at a factory um um in Saudi Arabia and the drivers were still expected to race it says here the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix is expected to go ahead as planned after hours of meetings because you know the drivers for four hours they were all basically saying that they don't want to race and they were going back and forth back and forth having these conversations into the early hours of the morning but the um powers that be at F1 was like you bitches you're gonna race so it said, the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix is expected to go ahead as planned after hours of meetings following a missile attack near the track in Jeddah. Um, the driver spent four hours after practice on Friday discussing whether the race should be run. But eventually at 2.30 a.m. local time on Saturday, after further reassurances from bosses, they agreed to race. After an extraordinary series of events, team bosses emerged from the meetings to say, we will be racing. Um, Yemen's um, Houthi, I think they're all healthy, Houthi rebels claimed responsibility for the attack on the oil de depot about nine miles from the track, according to the Associated Press. Second practice was delayed by 15 minutes after the attack as team bosses and drivers were called to a meeting with F1 president Stefano Dom Domenicali. The drivers went into a meeting with Domenicali and managing director Ross Braun, um, about an hour after the end of practice and that meeting did not end for another four hours as various senior, fig senior figures came and went. Um, there was a significant number of drivers that had concerns about the safety of the event following the attack, but eventually they were convinced to go ahead and race after being given further information by bosses. Part of this information involved the possible consequences of not racing, such as how easily teams and drivers would be able to leave the country if the race did not go ahead. Um, and that's the bit I want to focus on. So you said part of the information involved the possible consequences of not racing. So a threat so you threatened the drivers to drive. This is why you can't take anybody's success for granted because these men are getting millions, millions, but you're getting millions, but you still are subjected to doing things on, on the, at the whim of other people. God forbid. God forbid. You, uh, nine miles. Guys, I can run nine miles, you know. I can run nine miles. I need you to understand that I can run nine miles. Nine miles is not far. A missile attack happened nine miles away from the track. And you said to me, oh, hey, girl. You, so what, what we're thinking is that you just go ahead and race. I mean, your cars are so fast anyway. I mean, if a missile was going to go, go boom, it's not going to, you know, the likelihood of it catching you. <laughs> we don't know you know um and you know there's the grandstand and there's just so many other people life isn't always about you 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 know Th that's literally what i heard 
from what you lot said, that's literally what I heard. And you need to ask yourself, why the fuck you're racing in a com- um, country? You were just there 112 days ago when they when they first built this track, and the track looked very higgy then. You weren't even sure if it was, you know, if you'd be able to race on it properly. Bear crashes and thing. Um, and they did this whole thing. Was it on BBC or Sky Sports? One of them where like the female F1 presenters were like, oh talking to the heads of state and we're like oh so you know there are some human rights concerns here about what's happening with them um, to people who are part of the lgbtq community and they're like yeah yeah no no we're dealing with it i'm new here and i want to make all these changes and we're working on that they said whatever they needed to say for everybody to feel good enough about spending money and being there 112 days later or 120 is it 11 11 days later look where you found yourself or 110 days later look where you found yourself because the hypocrisy is wild to me you can't race in russia we don't want to race where there's war but you'll go and race in saudi arabia (laughs) where the laws are very very different that's why they told you man if you don't race look at me look at me look into my eyes I am the captain now. That's what they told y'all. They said, look into my eyes. We're the captain now. You don't race that fucking race. You're going to see what happens. We'll see how easily you man are going to get out of here. Literally, we're just talking about that in regards to Nazanin. Like these lot can do anything because of the contentious relationship that has been going on for however long it's been going on. You lot ignore 24 million people affected by what's happening um, in Yemen. But that doesn't matter. But oh my God, let's do a concert for Ukraine. And I'm not saying don't do a concert for Ukraine, but where's the concept for Yemen? Where's the concept um, um, concert for Afghanistan? Where's the concept um, concert for Syria? Where's the concert for um, Somalia? Where's like where, where's the concert? Where are the concerts for everybody else? No, no concerts. No, you don't want to warble. You don't want to shake your throat a little bit for everybody. You don't want to sing for anybody else. No, interesting interesting and it just goes to show the inherent racism of the sport that is formula one but when i'm speaking people will say that i'm speaking too much but i am the realist when it comes to formula one um um, commentary there's nobody there's nobody can across it there's nobody that does what i do in terms of bringing what's happening you know societally and putting that into the context of what we're seeing in the sport okay because the commentators that you've hired like damon hill they're now you don't look you don't have to tweet if you can't say anything that makes sense, you don't have to tweet. In fact, I want to see how they're going to play this out in Drive to Survive because I don't know how they're going to, how that's going to go down, to be honest, when that comes out next year. But um, I just think it's disgusting, you know, that people can't speak their minds. I know that the there was meant to be a press thing that happened straight after, you know, the drivers were having those conversations or was it before? But it didn't go ahead anyway because you know that the driver's going to say that they don't really want to do this and they're being forced to do it. And, and I quite frankly think that that's nasty, that you're going to put profit over people constantly. And I think people are saying that something similar happened with um, Australia. Was that 2018? I could have made that up. But you can't continue like this. And this is personally why I don't feel like Formula One is going to last for very much longer because like, you can't keep ignoring the part that you play Um in these countries by bringing the eyes of the world to these countries and um 
yet choosing to be uh, aloof to the uh, political tensions also you can race around that is very that is very childish I don't, I don't even want to say childish because children wouldn't do that that's just very disgusting ir- irresponsible behavior as far as I'm concerned um but uh yeah it, it was they they the drivers basically as far as I'm concerned got threatened to drive and so they did um but I would like to see what happens afterwards because if they leave that country and then they don't say, oh, you know what, we're not going to go back like they did with Russia, then I, I don't know what to say, to be honest. I want them, as soon as their plane lands on their home turf, for them to be like, to just send tweet, we're no longer racing in Saudi Arabia. Just You just need to do it. And, and all the other places where there's just mad movements, lock it off. Lock it off with immediate effect. Um, Mohammed Ben Suleim, president of F1's governing body, the FIA, (coughs) said, they are targeting the infrastructure, not the civilians, and of course, not the track. We've checked the facts and we've got assurances from the highest level that this is a secure place. Let's go on racing. But the thing is, you don't know that. You literally don't know that. Because these are your enemies. Imagine me going, oh, you know what, guys? I know that my enemies just bombed that place over there, but you don't need to worry because I spoke to them. We did a little FaceTime and they're, they're saying that they're cool for this to go ahead. Like they said, I can have my party. Like they're not gonna, I know that they burnt up my garden. <laughs> That's how we play, you know, but we're gonna be okay. No, no. So many people suffer in these these wayward conflicts, these horrific conflicts, and I just want better for us all because trying to pretend and trying to focus on la la la, people are racing around a track just doesn't feel right, to be honest. Um, but yeah, it's 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 wild to me. And on top of that, there was a marshal, some um, one of the people that was meant to be a marshal, and the marshals are the ones that, you know, keep an eye on the safety of the race as a whole, and they're placed at different points of the track. One of the marshals ahead of the race tweeted in Arabic, I believe, that he was hoping that um, Lewis Hamilton would meet the same fate that Roman, uh, Roman Grosjean did where Roman Grosjean, um, his car, he went into, um, a wall and his car burst into flames and he basically burned his hand. Luckily he made it out alive, but for others, that would have been it. If it wasn't for the halo, Roman would have been gone. Um, and this guy tweeted that he wanted that to happen to Lewis Hamilton, but you're meant to be one of the people who's making sure the track is safe. And this is what you're tweeting. Luckily somebody caught it and um it was reported and um he was removed from the race but i'm just like there has to be more severe consequences apart from just removing someone from the race and consistently we see that the vitriol that's specifically targeted at hamilton and i just want to know when formula one will stop dancing around conversation and and conversations and actually say you know what we have a race problem we have a racism problem uh in uh, in every rank what are we going to do about it? Because when Helmut Marco, you remember I mentioned him before, that um, heads up the Red Bull Academy or whatever, that said, he said, um, um, they were talking about the missile attack and they were like, oh, how do you think Verstappen and um, Sergio Perez are dealing with the pressure? And he was like, oh, well, Verstappen, I think he's fine. He said this in German. He was like, oh, I think that, you know, Verstappen is fine. Um, as for um, Sergio Perez, yeah, he's a bit, you know, shaken up but at the end of the day he grew up in Mexico City and there's violence there all the time 
I said, yo, I said, yo, I don't know your name, but what the fuck is this? Shouldn't even be singing um, Breezy, Breezy, that broke up Breezy. Um, wild, just the, just the like flippant nature of that overt racism is so wild to me. People are like, yeah, but they do have um, violence in Mexico City okay, do they not have violence in America? Because I, do, I don't really know what you're trying to say right now. Anyway, um, getting back to the race, um, Perez did really, really well. He got his first pole position in 11 years. 11, 11 years, he got his first pole position and I was really, really happy for him. And it's so difficult, you know, because I can't stand red ball and i only the thing is i don't think it's red ball that i have an issue with i have an issue with christian horner aka spiceless wonder aka winch spice i have an issue with him and the way that the way that that he's so like he's overt like anti-black comments he's never pulled up on it i have an issue with him but when Sergio does well, I genuinely want him to do well. I genuinely want a lot of the drivers to do well. Like, I don't have any real feeling towards them, except maybe for Verstappen, but I don't feel like I've got an issue with him personally. I just don't think he's very sportsmanly. Um, and I also showed in this race um, and the way that he spoke with um, or spoke about Leclerc anyway. But um, it was a very, very interesting race. Like I said, Perez managed to get his first pole position um, after 11 years. I think he is number 11 as well. But Jesus, 11 years. Woo! And the earlier tarot um, reader where they were like, oh, I'm 32. Is it too late for me? Baby, Sergio Perez waited 11 years for his first pole position. Let us be, let us all mind ourselves. Let us all be guided, okay? Um and so Leclerc got second, Carlos Sainz got third, Leclerc and Sainz, obviously they're racing for Ferrari, Perez is racing for Red Bull, Hamilton ended up in 16, then 15, he went out in Q1, the last time he went out in Q1 in qualifying was the Brazilian Grand Prix in 2017, and he actually ended up like, um, well Ferrari was really good in that race specifically, um, that time the drivers were Vettel and Kimi Raikkonen, and obviously Raikkonen is now retired, and Vettel races for Aston Martin, Martin, but he was had I think he had COVID, so he wasn't actually um in Saudi Arabia and Hulkenberg was racing in his place. Um so yeah, Vettel came first and Kimi Raikkonen came third, and that's pretty much what we got. No, no, that's not what we got this time. Um Mercedes um came second because of Valtteri Bottas um in that Brazilian race. Um, but Lewis had to start from the pit lane because they changed something in his car, I believe, and he still managed to come fourth. And he was about to pretty much do that this time. He would have come fifth had it not been for that Higgy, Higgy, very, very unlucky um pit lane close when he wanted to go and change his tires when they had the virtual safety car. Um and even in that race, he missed podium by one second and that was you know he was just one second behind Kimi Raikkonen in a Ferrari so I feel like when Mercedes can sort themselves out we'll be seeing similar things again but anyway back to Jeddah Mick Schumacher crashed out of the race went into a concrete wall at like 170 miles per hour Jesus but he's okay um Hamilton went and checked on him but they just thought um that although he's okay this is Haas you know the car that he drives and again look I'm a bit I'm a mature woman I'm a I'm I'm you know I'm a bigger person for that do you get me like Haas have been doing well surprisingly so this is what the regulations have really helped a lot of a lot of teams has that for two years that they were like points where are you 
Where are you? Not a single nil point. Pop, pop. They couldn't see a single point. They didn't even see the bit of the point before they could see the O-N-I-N-T. They didn't see pop. And now they're doing well. You know, well, I guess thanks to um, Kevin Magnuson. But um, yeah, anyway, he crashed and they were like, you know what? While we, he's been checked by the medical staff and we know, you know, they took him to a hospital. He's been checked and we know that he's okay. It's best that he doesn't race. So we have enough spare parts for Australia because if he crashes during that race, they're unlikely to maybe be able to get everything together and have enough money to fix everything for Australia. Because remember, also has no longer have um, Ural Kali, which was their title sponsor because Nikita Mazepin is gone because, you know, hashtag Russia. Um, Yuki Tsunoda couldn't race because his engine gave out. Um, they said something in that it was his drivetrain or whatever, whatever. Um, or is it his drivetrain? Daniel Ricciardo, he got a three-place penalty from qualifying because he impeded Ocon during um, Ocon's Q2 lap. So, and he got a one penalty point plus the McLaren team got a 10,000 euro fine because of what he did. So, wow, that was a lot. Um... But Perez got off to a great start. Verstappen did well, came in aggressively, took over, um, overtook signs. There was a lot of basketball going on. George Russell managed to move up to fifth place. Um, Lewis was tentative. He took his time. Um, Alonso and Ocon. Now, that was beautiful to watch in terms of Alpine. That was great racing on both of their parts. I mean, I'm sure that they fucked up their tires, but it was great racing on both of their parts. And I like that. Is it Schaffnauer or whatever? That guy, he moved from the other team he was with and then he moved to Alpine. Um, Yeah, he was like, let them race, fam. It's Saudi Arabia. Let them do what they're doing, which I like. Like, let them race. Let them challenge each other because it was respectful. They didn't move too mad. Um... So they were going back and forth with each other. Um, But although there were times when they were like going off track to try to overtake and stuff. And that was just wild. Um, Most drivers started off on a medium tire, except for Hulkenberg, Magnussen and Hamilton, who started on hard. And which was really, really good for Hamilton because he basically used the hard tires for the majority of the race. And he managed them well. It's just so unlucky. Like he used those tires to move from um, uh, 15th place on the grid to 5th only for when he wanted to now go and do the, his um, change, his pit stop, he couldn't because he also stayed out in order to gain, um, uh, you know, the places that he had or inherit the place that he had due to when we had a physical safety car that was out at some um, at one point in the race. Um, but all Max Verstappen was doing for the majority of the race was complaining that Leclerc's black back light wasn't working. Leclerc was riding over the white line for the pit lane. He did all that complaining and he still came first. And this is the thing, just focus on your ride, focus on your drive. Oh, that is so unfair. He is going over the white. Shut up and drive the fucking car. Not everyday whinging. Shut up. Meanwhile, he's talking all this shit about Leclerc on the radio. Leclerc on his radio, once it was announced that Verstappen had won, because obviously, and he was 0.54 seconds behind him. If because where the checkered flag comes forward on the um main straight, if that flag had come forward a little bit later on in the main straight, I think that Leclerc could have overtaken him with using DRS. But Again, Verstappen was just lucky. But you know what? You didn't even get... You got no points because you did not finish the last race. So was that Bahrain? So the fact that you got points in this race, you got the most... Well, yeah, you got the most points in this race. Um, Leclerc got an extra point, even though he was for he's second and he got an extra point because he got the fastest lap as well. Um, Carlos Sainz, he came third. So that's so far... 
this season we've had two races and um, Ferrari have been on the podium for both, you know, first and second um, in the last race in Bahrain and then second and third for this race in Saudi Arabia. They're doing really well. They've got a really strong card this year, Ferrari. But again, there are so many races throughout the season, so many different tracks, like different cars have different advantages, you know, and anything can happen to any motherfucking body at any time. Do you get me? So we have to see how um, all of that plays out. Um, Bottas did well, Bottas did what Bottas did. He had a strong race. I just don't know with all the moving around safety car and everything. It really shuffled some people about, but then I think he ended up, they had to take his car off. Um, he, they called him into the pit and basically he, I think he did not finish. So many cars didn't finish. Latifi crashed like Abu Dhabi and the state, um, and it's just sad because that's it was his crash that meant that the the physical safety car came out i believe and perez pitted just before the safety car came out before that crash happened and the safety car came out so he was he was leading the race from pole position for a lot of the race but then when that happened and safety car came out he basically couldn't come back to he couldn't race where he was at before because you all the cars have to slow all the way down behind the um the safety car um, want, you know, so the the car and the debris can be cleared or anything. So that was really unlucky for him. It was really unlucky for him. Um, and so because of that, Higgy Hagar, Hamilton moved to seventh place. Russell was in fifth. Um, and they just kind of like battled it out. Russell, I think, finished in fifth, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Joe, Joe got a knew he got a five second penalty then they said that he didn't serve it properly and there was a whole higgy hagar about that um by lap 20 everyone was on hard tires by this point but obviously they've gone in for a pit stop at this point hamilton hadn't gone in yet but he was managing his tires well and he felt like he was still strong um it's funny because magnuson he was talking a lot about his neck hurting and I get it because he hadn't, he didn't think he was going to be racing this season. So I guess he hadn't done the training to get himself ready for this season. And, um, you know, he got told that he was going to be racing like 11 days before the season started. That's not enough time to prepare your neck. And if you watch some um, Formula One drivers, like Instagram pages, you'll see that there's this head thing that they wear and they've got to like move their neck and train their neck against the, you know, against the machine because it kind of getting them used to, I think it's the, um, the g-force just getting them used to that because it's a lot it's a lot like i don't like to stress out my neck like i think about the no actually forget it i'm not gonna that's wild that was wild that was wild where i was gonna say wow anyway i'm i feel it for magnuson's neck and i hope that he feels better unfortunately for alonso um alonso fernando alonso he drove a really really good race but he lost power while he was doing his bus boss with magnuson around lap 37 this was a 50 lap race by the way um and that was really unlucky like a lot of people just started losing power it's like what i said about red bull night night some of their power units were just giving up daniel ricardo's car gave up maybe due to overheating um it just became a whole mess bottas's car gave up like lord and then there was like yellow flags and then there were people not in people were ignoring the yellow flags because it's getting so close to the end so when you see double yellow flags you're meant to slow down um your speed at, or, and be ready to stop but everyone was still driving at a particular at a particularly fast pace so i'd be interesting it'll be interesting to see who ends up getting a penalty for that um and i really really need mercedes to sort out their pit stops because it's actually ridiculous like 
Red Bull stays with a fast pit stop. What the fuck is happening in um, in that Red Bull garage? I'm sorry, the Mercedes garage. Why are the pit stops so slow? Red Bull can do like 2.4 um, you know, seconds of a ch- of you know changing the tires and everything. Why are we doing three point nine? Why? Now, don't get me wrong. In the grand scheme of things, you're like, fam, they change the tires and everything in under four seconds. What are you talking about? But look, your age mates over there, your classmates, do they have two heads? Because they're changing theirs in two point four and all of them things. Fix it up. Maybe some of you lot need some twerk classes. Loosen up those hips. Get you moving. Get that synovial fluid working because I can't afford for this to be our downfall. Everybody start training, eating well. Did you not read about omega-3 fatty acids? Sort the sort it the fuck out. I'm getting annoyed. I know we're only two races in and I'm sure everything will be okay. But at the same time, like I said, let us all be guided. Um... Yeah, anyway, cut a long story short. Um, Verstappen won the race, boo-hoo-hoo. Um, Albon, Alex Albon and Lance Stroll collided. So there was a yellow flag around lap 49. And that's the one I was talking about. But people were still speeding like speeders. But then anyway, um, Verstappen started complaining like he likes to do. Um, Verstappen won. Leclerc got second place. Sainz got third place. Um, and Hamilton finished 10th. Um, George Russell did well. Um, you know, he, he held his own. It's just unfortunate with the way that everything sort of played out. But overall, me personally, I think it was a good race. You know, you know, usually it'll be like, oh, but you know, it didn't go in Hamilton's favor. It went the way that it went. This is one of those races where I'm like, Omar, it went the way that it went. It sometimes it just be like that. It just be like that, you know? So hopefully Australia is better. Um, and then we've got Italy after that. Um, then Miami, oh my God, Miami, welcome to Miami, <laughs> Lord, yeah, it's looking, it's looking spicy, it's looking spicy, but um, Perez finished fourth from starting from pole position, I mean, he's still in the points, he did well, um, Russell finished fifth, Ocon finished sixth, Norris, well done to Lando Norris, he finished um, seventh, Pierre Gasly for Alpha Tauri, he finished eighth, which is good because he did not finish um, last race, didn't he? Because his car gave out. Magnussen finished ninth for Haas, which is brilliant. And Hamilton finished 10th for Mercedes. So he still just, he managed to make it into the points. Um, but me personally, I think it was a great race. I think it was a great race. It's not every time that the person that I like needs to win. I think that overall, I like seeing what is possible because um, the new regulations mean that the cars can follow each other clo- more closely. And I know that once Mercedes can sort out what the fucking setup is on their cars, oh, mate, that's when people are really going to see something. But really happy for the drivers that are getting to shine because, um, you know, everything's kind of being jumbled up again. That's the nature of it. And because we know that there's so many races left, we'll see how it plays out. Although we don't know what's going to happen after on April 4th, April 5th. So we've got to hold out for that. If anything at all, maybe nothing, maybe nothing. So let's see if that's going to affect what happens with Australia. We don't know, but let's just see. But fingers crossed, and I'm praying for everybody. But that's basically that for Start Your Motors. I hope that I've covered enough. Um, maybe I've missed out something crucial, but I think I've covered enough. Um, so we'll jump to Straw of the Week, aka Suck Your Mum. 
Um, my first draw of the week goes out to the police who stopped a black guy in the street when, um, you know, we had some hot weather, warm weather, warm weather, um, you know, in the last week. And they stopped him because they said that he wasn't dressed appropriately for the weather because he had on a jacket and a hoodie. So they wanted to um, detain him and um, stop, you know, basically stop and search him. Um, and this is why I say that we need to do something about the police. So you certain people that work at certain organizations that I may or may not have just previously spoken about where you're like, Oh, hashtag policing and rare, rare, rare. I'm not coming for your boo. When I talk about the fact that the police at the Met police as a, as a structure is very dangerous for us all just because they do good. Even a broken clock is right twice a day. I'm not saying that your boo personally is a problem. I'm saying that the institution that they work for is a problem. That's all I'm saying. No need to get riled up. Not coming for anybody. It would be great to let you know that if you weren't avoiding, man. But it is what it is. Um, police stop and search Croydon man wearing a coat on sunny day and say he's not dressed for the climate. Police stopped and detained a man in Croydon after they saw him wearing several layers of clothing despite the warm weather. A video posted on social media showed a confrontation between the man and Met Police officers after he was stopped on a side road off Dagnall Park in Selhurst. In a video, one of the officers can be heard telling the man he was not dressed for the climate as he stood recording the encounter in Croydon while they asked him why he was wearing a coat on Wednesday, March 23rd at 4.47pm. The officers went on to detain him and conduct a search under the Misuse of Drugs Act, but nothing was found on the man and he was released. Of course he was. In the video, the man could be heard asking the officers, who tells me how to dress before the police proceeded to detain him? A Met Police spokesperson said officers were patrolling the area, well known for drug dealing, and, and added the man became hostile and refused to account for what he was doing. Why do I have to account for anything? Why do I have to account for anything? I'm walking down this street like every motherfucker gets to walk down the street. What do I need to account for? And this is why I talk about the over-policing of black people in this country. Can you see it? The same way that we were just talking about Jamaica and um, its long-standing, um, uh, you know, uh, tense relationship with Britain. It was because of sugar that we ended up having police in Britain. Because of that. It was to do with sugar. And so, again, it is so much a part of the structure of policing that you can't see black people and let them rest you can't see black people and leave them alone you just can't you have to go and trouble them who are you to tell me that I can't wear a coat look we all feel heat differently I know people who are constantly cold no matter how hot it is they are constantly cold and let me tell you something as well sometimes people wear coats because of other issues I wrote um, a story for the new anthology by um, Dapo Adeola, you know, Dap's Draws. He put an anthology together called Joyful Joyful. If you haven't seen it by now, it's a children's book. And um, the illustrator that's worked on my piece is phenomenal. You know her. She's a baby girl. Um, and I wrote this piece. Um, my piece is about one thing, but also I'm talking about another thing. I mentioned something else. For a long time, due to and I'm not saying that this, this is the case with this guy. I'm just saying that people wear things for different reasons. And I can relate to this because it's literally what I've been through. Due to being sexually abused as a child, I had so many issues with my, like showing my body. 
So I'm telling you, it could be the height of summer. I'm telling you, every motherfucker is sweating. Kelechi, me, I'm in a big black coat, this big black fancy coat that had like, um, like faux velvet, um, on the collar and it had like these like different kind of like embossed writing that looked like Latin all over it. I had this big, thick black coat on all the time. I needed to wear it to feel safe, to just walk. So if my mum was like, let you go to Peckham, I don't care if it's fucking like 35 degrees outside. I don't care. I'm wearing my coat and I'm going to Peckham. I could be wearing slippers on my feet, but I'm wearing that coat because that's what made me feel safe. And I did that up until maybe I was like 11, if not a bit further down. Um, or, you know, or a bit older. So I get it. And I would be damned if some police officer would have stopped me and gone, you're not dressed appropriately for the weather. I'm dressed appropriately for my internal state. You mind your fucking business, okay? It's like, he could have been wearing a coat for a number of reasons. Especially sometimes also, it sounds so grim, but based on the random violence that black people experience in in the ends that we live in sometimes you want extra layers so people can't penetrate it duh anyway detectives chief superintendent lee hill violent crime task force says we are aware of footage circulating on social media this shows only a small part of this incident and would ask people not to rush rush to judgment in this instance a formal complaint has been received and is being handled in accordance to the police reform acts what else would you add to it then what what did we what did we not see? It goes on to say, this will include a review of all the available footage, including the officer's body-worn videos. Um, our officers have to conduct themselves in the most challenging of circumstances, and it is uh, and it is right their actions should be subject to public scrutiny. But you didn't have to approach him. You didn't. The video has circulated on social media with users calling the search unfair and that a person cannot be prohibited to wear a coat. Um, and that's... I just think it's disgusting. How many white people did you pass? Well, the thing is, I can't even say how many white people did you pass who were wearing a coat in that weather because white people will be out. I remember I used to, when I was going uni in Liverpool, I'll be walking through Liverpool and it is winter. I'm talking, there is snow upon the ground and there are white guys walking around in t-shirts, just walking through, walking through town, just walking along Bold Street, just walking, walking over to Mood and they're wearing t-shirts and jeans and that's when I said no there is something going on there is something going on like why are you not feeling the cold why I mean me I was in I can't really talk me personally because I used to be I went from having that big coat on in the height of summer to going to uni in Liverpool and I wore the pompomest of, of shorts the pompomest of shorts I was in and the highest of heels that was me up and down up and down Liverpool and Manchester and people are like oh you remind me of Khalees you're so freaking gorgeous I'm like yeah thanks um so I can't really talk, but I'm just saying that that was wild, right? Um, that he can't just wear his coat, but I'm sure if you saw a white person wearing a coat walking around, you would just be like, oh, they're a weirdo. And you just let them be a weirdo. Why are black people not allowed to be weirdos? I'm not even saying this guy's weird, but you get me? Like, even if he is, why can't black people just be weirdos? Why has there got to be a, a, a sinister reason for us to be doing things that might look outside of the norm? For, for, cause, well, for, one, for one thing, we're not even allowed to do what's the norm let alone what's outside of the norm. 
I just think it's ridiculous, man. I hated seeing that. I just think it's so random. And uh, on that point, stop tagging me. Trust and believe I see the videos before you see them. Stop tagging me and be like, Kelechi will be the one to talk about this. Kelechi will be the one to tell you to suck your mother. Stop tagging me. Anyway, um, the Met Police can suck their mothers again. Don't care who your wife is and what they do. You can all suck out because this is ridiculous at this point. And people talk about reform. I'm not talking about reform. I'm talking about abolishing the thing. That's how I see it. Um, I saw that drunk driver girl that tweeted and now she's been um, uh, arrested. She tweeted that she's the best drunk driver only. And then she got stopped by police. The police let her go because they heard of another incident happening. This was in America. They heard of another incident happening um, um, along the highway. Um, So they let her go, even though they suspected her of drunk driving and only for her to carry on driving. And then she killed the police officer who stopped her. Plus the, um, um plus the person that they were attending to so to the drunk driving girl you can suck out for an eternity you irresponsible stupid bitch you're a stupid raggedy bitch drunk driving is one of the worst things i think that anybody can do i i detest it so much like there is a lack of empathy like that you there must just be an apathy that you have for the rest of humanity and an arrogance that you have to be like oh no you know i'm gonna be the one motherfucker that can drink and be absolutely blasted um but still get in my car and drive don't do it don't do it if you if that's something that any of you do casually and you don't want me to cuss you out or fall out with you don't do it i i really i just think it's vile don't and it's so sad that that happened and I hope that this girl you know she she never she's never allowed to drive again that's what I hope um then the Whitechapel Tower fire that happened um developers are still allowed to build any which way that they like fuck you developers like the Grenfell recommend the Grenfell inquiry the recommendations that were made during that inquiry the government have not taken them on board they haven't done anything to action anything that was recommended so the government can suck out as well um the developers that were building that Whitechapel um one they put in wooden balconies I think they didn't put in certain detectors if I'm not mistaken because they didn't think that they said that it it was part of um, regulations it wasn't mandatory for them to do so so it has to be mandatory for you to just do the bare minimum so people don't burn up in a building like you literally saw what happened with Grenfell why do you think that it's okay for you to just not do the freaking bare minimum it says here residents of a high-rise building in East London said they had complained about the fire alarms and stay put policy before a major fire broke out there on Monday. The London Fire Brigade was called to the relay building in Whitechapel High Street shortly before 4 p.m. after a fire started on the seventh um, in the 17th floor flat. At least 20 fire engines and 125 firefighters tackled the blaze, while footage showed flames pouring out of the building and debris falling off the side. London Fire Brigade said a woman was trapped by the blaze and firefighters rescued her using a fire escape hood. A number of IT residents have said they could not hear any fire alarms sounding during the incident and were alerted by the fire um, through word of mouth. Um, A spokesperson for Rendell and Rittner, which is responsible for managing the internal commons parts of the building, said no audible alarm. Um, alarms were used in the building and the stay put policy was agreed by relevant authorities um andrew andrew miekel who 58 who was who has lived in the 
22 storey building for about five years, said the residents had complained several times about the alarms and the stay put policy to Rendell and Rittner and the other two companies that managed the building, John D. Wood and Network Homes. He said there have been complaints about fire alarms and the staple policy and the high risk of fires on uh, on the wooden balconies. And guess what was burning today? The wooden balconies. He added that with three different companies managing different parts of the building, there was a scrambled chain of communication when it came to their complaints. Um, I just think that um, people aren't going to jail enough. That's the problem. A lot of these developers and building management companies, they are not going to jail enough because otherwise this kind of behavior would stop very quickly. Like you saw what the fuck happened with Grenfell. Like, why do you not think it's okay? Why do you not have audible alarms? Okay, you've got whatever your alarm does and and stay put. And you're telling me to stay put. And I bet if I got, if you, if you had the audacity to put in wood, wooden balconies, I bet the doors aren't even fire safe either. I bet that. I bet. Useless motherfuckers, all of you, ridiculous. Suck your mums. Suck your mums with your um, um, and with with the, with the wood from those wooden balconies or charge. That's what you need to do. Ridiculous behaviour, disgusting, irresponsible. Um, and another housing situation that requires cussing out um, the Clarion Housing Group. As if Quajo hasn't dragged you lot enough, there is now another reason to drag you lot because you're vultures and you're nasty. Um, why do I say that? Because a girl, a young woman, she lost both parents and um you know clarion housing know this that she's lost both both parents in a short space of time yet they're trying to force her to pay eighteen thousand pounds in rent um for her dead mum's home um it says here um her name is chantelle by the way and i'm reading this from my london news it says here um an orphaned student is being forced to pay more than £18,000 in charges on her dead mother's four-bedroom home in South London. Chantel Zabu, who lost both parents, is being held liable by Clarion Housing Group for £18,188.23 in use and occupation charges, which continue to grow although she lives in student accommodation away from the property in Penge. The 25-year-old says that she has been suicidal while battling the housing association and grieving her mother who died of cancer in 2019, as well as her father figure, who also died weeks apart. Um, Chantel's biological dad died the year before she was born, um, the year she was born, sorry, in 1996. And now with no primary carer, the student says that the situation has left her feeling suicidal and depressed. And that at the end of her university term this year, she'll be made homeless. The 25 year old said, I'm depressed and suicidal. I've kind of been on a low level. It's been really tough. I haven't been able to grieve the loss of my parents. I haven't been able to have a normal life. This has just disrupted every facet of my life. This has affected everything in my life, my education. Um, when Chantel's mother, Nora, 58, died in 2019, the Londoner says she tried to gain succession on the tenancy in hopes to be rehoused in a smaller property. The student says that Clarion Housing Group disputed her succession request and instead issued a notice to quit before she had moved into student accommodation. Chantel said three months after my mum passed away, they were trying to get rid of me. It's the perfect storm. You're suffering the loss, uh, the loss of a parent. So let's try and evict you, put you through all these things on top of everything you're already going through. They lack humanity. They lack empathy. 
Um, Chantelle says she's challenged the refusal to grant her succession by contacting her local MP, Ellie Reeves, as well as the housing ombudsman. Eventually, she was granted a discretionary succession and 150 in compensation from, for Clarion Housing's maladministration in dealing with her case. The engineering student said, I was experiencing such profound feelings of bereavement and loss. I was in the thick of it. I'd lost both my parents. I was figuring out how I'm going to move on in the world. I was um, trying to get on with my studies. It was really, really awful and grueling. Months later, Chantel says the discretionary succession was withdrawn and that she instead received an email with an attached file containing backdated use and occupation charges. The student said, I got an email um, that has a PDF attached to it and it says you've been charged, you've been, we've been charging you £104 per week. By the time I've received the PDF, the payments had already backdated. I'm, ha- I'm at however, um, um, what well, I'm at however many grands, that's what it was meant to say, um, Oh, baby girl, she's so pretty. But the Londoner says she's ne- she never agreed to pay the charges as the home was never put in her name. She said, there is no legal document that is being signed to agree to pay rent. If they had agreed for me to succeed the tenancy, then it would have been in my name, but I never received the paperwork. It's not in my name. It's in the name of my mum, but you can't claim rent from someone who is deceased. They've pay- pinned it on me. They can take the house i have too much trauma attached to the place but they have to take the debt with them the engineering student launched a gofundme in a bid to raise money to pay the charges and is and it currently stands at 100 out of 20,000 for rent charges she believes accumulate in the week coming weeks Throughout the ordeal, Chantel says that she will, she still aims to graduate, but that the battle with Clarion Housing has disrupted the main thing her mother told her to always focus on, her education. Um, the student said, my degree is extremely demanding. While my mum was living, she, ha- um, she had a no working during school kind of thing. I've stuck to that personally. I've had to stop and start and stop and start. I've had to sit down with tutors, decision makers at university to try and explain to them that this is what's been happening. My personal losses have been beyond measure. After having postponed one of her exams, the Londoner worries that she leaves her, that when she leaves her student accommodation, her mental state will worsen and she'll have nowhere to live while sitting the exam. She said, I've actually moved an exam that there's an exam I didn't sit because of my mental state at the time. I'll be sitting an exam in August with nowhere to live and nowhere to go. Um, A spokesperson for Clarion Housing Group said, we appreciate this has been a distressing time for Miss Zabu and are very sorry for the loss of her mother. Social housing is in high demand and scarce supply in London and there remains tens of thousands of families on housing waiting lists. We offered Miss Zabu a tenancy at at a one-bedroom property in her local area which would meet her housing need and ability to pay. However, she declined this offer and advised us she would um, only consider a home in Zone 1 or Zone 2 of London. Demand is particularly acute in zone one and two, and when a home becomes available, it must be offered to the household with the highest need. Despite frequent attempts to contact Miss Sabu, she has not been engaging with us. We encourage her to get in touch with Clarion again, and we'll do all we can to support her to find a suitable home. Chantel says that she never received any offer for a property and that she continues to be charged. Furthermore, the student says that she has contacted the Housing Association on numerous occasions, but they have not responded to her. And you know what? I believe Chantel. I know those motherfuckers are lying because they're the same ones that had the cheek, the temerity, the audacity to be going to Housing Association awards and be grinning up teeth. 
when you know that people are struggling, people are suffering in your housing, you've given her £18,000 to pay for what? And you're saying that you you re, you relate to her, you relate to her situation, you feel for her. Meanwhile, you haven't erased that debt. You haven't erased that debt, but you feel for her. People are nasty. And honestly, anybody that works for them at this point, you're nasty too. Clarion, Clarion Housing, you're all raggedy bitches. You're disgusting. Disgusting behavior. Suck your mothers. Gosh, if it's not the houses that you have that have rats and cockroaches crawling along them, it's that you're charging dead people 18,188, 23 pence, I be that you've, uh, you all rot in hell, my God, you're disgusting pieces of shit, all of you. I will include um, Chantel's um, GoFundMe in case anybody wants to help her. I personally feel like that money shouldn't go to Clarion. I, I would hope that that money would go she's currently on 1719 pounds and trying to raise 20,000 pounds i hope that that money doesn't go to clarion i hope that Ma clarion cancels that stupid fucking debt and that they offer her a place that's suitable because it should be in zone one and two i or also i agree with her um, and then the money that she does get helps her to get her life back on track and focus on these exams. Like the money will help her to not have to work so she can focus on these exams because the world has been crumbling around her. Like give the girl a fucking break. Um, but anyway, that's that for this week's episode. I've really, really talked. My God, I've talked. This is going to be a long as fuck episode. Sorry about that. Um, like I said, I'm looking forward to seeing everybody at the live show. Patrons, I'll see you at 5.30. Everybody else, I'll see you on the stage. Remember to get there on time. You don't want to miss anything. Um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing everybody. I've been Kalechi Okafor. This has been SYM, officially known as Say Your Mind, unofficially known as What What. That's right, suck your mum. You can follow me on at Kalechi Okafor at Say Your Mind Pod whenever I decide I want to post anything again. And yeah, that's it. I will catch you on the flip side. Peace. It's the Ben's Brunani woman is Baby boys, baby girls, you need to hear this If you sit down, sit down, receive this realness Make sure your cup's ready for the tea we are go sipping yo Hard time scrolling for your long shorts You might learn something you never know Collect you find, and she's one of a kind Don't say you mind